It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So how's the drink? Uh, it's good. <laughs> That's not a very strong reaction. Well, it's, it's not a very strong drink. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. No, we are secret. It's normal. My husband said the planes want to stay in the air. <sighs> Sounds like a smart man. You be sure and tell him that when he gets back from the bathroom. Well, I'll keep you company until he does. Don't worry. You can let go now. It's okay. You, you can let go. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking about season six episodes one and two the season six premiere lax uh or as we are so fond of saying la spacex because there is that space in the middle i'm josh wiggler i'm joined here by mike bloom yes and no worry nary and Elon Musk to be found, even oh, dressed no. up as Wario. I believe, I imagine this is a reference to like Earth X, right? Which is a, a comic book reference to alternate timelines, alternate universes. Yeah, I think that they're certainly gesturing at that, right? Like, you know, the big idea of the final season, especially as it's airing, it plays differently on rewatch, of course. But in that week to week, or in that episode to episode, depending on if you're, you know, binging it, you know, in the modern day and like you're experiencing it now, um, is like, what is this place? You know, kind of like once again evoking that feeling of, guys, where are we? Uh, and like playing with this idea of like, yes, it doesn't appear that the bomb worked because everybody's 
been catapulted back to the future. Uh, but there's also this other thing, and like their lives are playing out similarly but differently. Uh, is this just like a, a, like a parallel world? Will there be some collision of the two? This is sort of the tension of the final season. Its actual uh, state of existence is controversial for many even now, uh, for people who love the show, I think uh, there are many who still have questions about it. I will always have questions about it. And I think that uh, feeling okay with that has been a big part of my experience of like being able to still be like an out and proud Lost fan. Um, but yeah, I think that that La X, right, you know, <laughs> is like very clearly like this is the X universe. If the proper universe of Lost is 815, then this is uh, Lost X, uh, the sideways that we are finally embarking on. It's pretty wild, Mike, that we're finally talking about the sideways in terms of like actually recapping events from the sideways. I know. We actually have alternate universe versions, or I guess I mean, should, we should stop saying that, right? Because this is, not, this is afterlife versions of these people who don't necessarily realize they're in an afterlife yet uh very good place-esque so we're going to be talking about that a lot through the season you know this premiere i think is very i don't know microcosmal to me of season six as a whole of like what it represents because it obviously introduces the narrative device of the flash sideways which is going to be such a driver but it also much like a lot of season premieres i think sets up what the season's going to be about Thankfully, we're not spending the entire time at the temple, but really setting up, you know, the man in black is truly the big bad. He gets established with Jacob getting killed. And then summarily, all of our favorites are are back together in the same timeline. But it'll be a very, very long time before they come together. It'll be a minute before everybody gets back together. Uh, and this season, I think, like, after having gone through the time travel season, um, after having gone through, like, the heavily science fiction season where so much is about the past, right? And, like, going there and interacting with the past to impact the future, to change the future. Like, it is very much about those two ideas. You have to go back in order to change what's to come, but whatever happened, happened, and things can't actually change. I think season six in this episode really starts this journey for me this idea of like this season even with the sideways is so much about the present this is a season about how there's really nowhere left to hide there's nowhere to go but forward um the the ideas of destiny are still in play but the ideas of some of this is predetermined because you were back in the 1970s and that impacted what your life was like in 2003 and 2004. Like a lot of that energy is gone and it's replaced with, okay, we're here. What now? It only ends once. And so we have to live in the present, uh, which is, I think, um, somewhat ironic considering like all of the relitigation of Lost that has continued, uh, mm-hmm. including the, the very exercise of this podcast. Uh, so I think that that's fun. This, it only ends once it's never truly ended then i suppose um and uh yeah i guess like sure we've already started season six we did the season six prologue last week we've already talked about across the sea i think that that lends um a particular energy to some of the stuff we see as it pertains to like jacob in this episode Mm -hmm. and certainly as it fleshes out the man in black as an actual character yeah absolutely i mean when he he says when he tells ben i want to go home or richard i want to go home like now that's very much felt after watching the prologue you know, so like, I feel like that really helps serve this episode in a major way for me. Um, but by all intents and purposes, like, we are now actually here fully 
going forward into the jungle with season six. And I'm personally really excited to reevaluate the final season. I think it's better than people remember. I think certain aspects are as bad as people remember <laughs> and potentially worse. Uh, like the temple is a thing that degrades every time I watch it. It doesn't get better. It actually gets worse. The sideways, uh, for me, it depends on like how you approach it. Um, my outlook on it has has shifted to being like so. This is sort of like the if not the happily ever after. These are like the 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 sideways is an epilogue. The sideways is a coda. It's out of sequence because it's chopped up all throughout these episodes. So it's like an epilogue that you're having to sort of like survey as you're going forward through the final season as well. I think this is I suspect one of the ways in which um, chronologically lost, which recuts all of lost in chronological order probably is um, in some ways at least a more satisfying experience with the sideways where you can sort of experience it all after the fact. I bet that that's something that's really, really great. I would love to check that out someday. Um, But I think that here in this case, like if when you when you view it as like sort of like bonus stories that help to underline and further characterize the characters, like sort of the like, what did we learn today vibe, you know, uh, with these people. And as long as that can fit comfortably alongside, like how you feel the characters journeys conclude in the actual physical corporeal lives that they lead on the Island. I think that those two things can exist simultaneously. And when I experience them as sort of like, separate but intersecting things i'm at my happiest uh with with the final season of law so i'm already kind of like mentally and emotionally there and the emotional piece is probably the thing to stress Mm. is that so much of this doesn't make sense so much of this just does not hold up to much logical scrutiny um (laughs) the temple specifically really falls apart um But when something um, like intangible, like the emotionality of the sequences wins out over logic, I think that's where Lost is still able to like be successful. Uh, And I think for me, for the most part, not 100% across the way, the sideways is there. The temple is not, but the sideways is there for me for the for the vast majority of it. So I'm excited to sort of just like re-experience this stuff, spend some time with John Locke again, you know, like... He's back, and it's and it's really beautiful. And uh, I don't know, a lot of talking. I'm well, happy listen, to be here, Mike. Surprise, surprise! The strongest part of the season is the one that connects back to the characters we have known since the very beginning, and not introducing brand new characters and mythical aspects that we knew absolutely nothing about up to this point. I, I think it's an incredibly non-surprising statement that I am very much in agreement with. I think the strongest part of Lost season six is this one last ride characterization of, okay, we're all back together now. You know, these are our final days on the island together until we move on. And I think when you come in from that perspective, I do think it also makes season six also a little bit taste better on the tongue. Yeah, I think, again, at the time, there was so much concern about, okay, they're all back together, but like, what's going on with the statue and how's the smoke monster going to get up and what's going on with the temple and what is the island we were so focused on the big questions that had to be answered that i think there was much less of a focus in general from a fandom perspective on the fact that this was like the last round for all of these characters and how that transcends into the afterlife for them 
I'm really excited in particular to look at the Flash Sideways stuff. The Flash Sideways from the very first time I watched season six was always the most intriguing concept to me. I mean, the multiverse is my favorite concept in comic books. It's just this idea of like, if things were a little bit different, how would our universe look? And that's something I was really obsessed with when maybe some of the on-island stuff I wasn't necessarily as intrigued by. Uh, you know, it seemed like a bit like that the two sides going to war, as it were. But I'm really intrigued to see how they connect back to the episodes proper. Because like you said, flashbacks, flash forwards, at least they always attempt to connect back to the central character either saying this is why they became the person that they are that we're seeing right now, or maybe, hey, this is how what they did corresponds to, you know, what they're going to do in the future off island in the case of seasons four and five. I don't know if you can necessarily do that in season six, because again, this is, for all intents and purposes, a different version of the character, a different life for the character until they wake up and those lives merge. So I'm really excited to see from like a POV perspective, which is going to happen starting next week, how those two perceptions are perceived. But I'm really excited to focus on this character stuff because I know I was not literally nearly looking at it the way I should have during these last 18 episodes. Well, I think, I think, uh, first of all, how could you have, right? And I think like a lot of people haven't gone back to watch it because they felt the way that they felt about the final season. Or, you know, it's just kind of inherently going to be generally the least watched, like least rewatched season because it came last, right? Like right. you will, you will have seen, you know, seasons one through three or whatever, depending on when you met lost more than you've, uh, gone back and, and revisited this. But I think that the, the thing about the sideways, for me is like if the flashbacks are are sort of like really brick and mortar this is what happened right what like these are the experiences we are now watching what happened to these characters mm-hmm. we're not necessarily getting a ton of insight into like what they thought about those things maybe we are based on sort of like intuiting like how it's juxtaposed to the modern action right like the show structurally is kind of giving us some clues as to like what did kate think about ray mullen you know uh like you know what i mean just as a as a bad example um but like you're not like uh you're not really necessarily seeing what's in her heart as it reflects um what happened during that time it is much more head over heart the sideways is hard overhead uh mm. for sure you know like in a very significant way um the sideways is like what it literally is is up for debate um but it is at the very least the place we you all made with each other right like it is at very at the very least it is some form of afterlife where you go next before you go to where you go after that um so it is this uh reflection of the soul the reflection of the inner uh it is this like um this echo of who they all once were no echo doesn't appear in the final season he doesn't and and neither does frank uh and uh <laughs> is that because frank lapidus lives forever yeah, I think Frank Lapidus becomes immortal. I think he accidentally gets given Jacob powers and he is like, oh, the, he, terrific. Now I have to live forever. Yeah, he's the new Richard Alpert. That's dope. I'm totally down with that. Um, but I think that like the sideways is um, the sideways in many ways is like who these people are at if, if not like who these people are at their essence i actually do think is right like there are ways in which at their essence they're still doubting themselves they're still plagued by their insecurities mm-hmm. no matter what happened to them in their life and then they uh those who are lucky enough to move on 
get these moments of eureka and catharsis and realizing that, um, no, these terrible things that have been a part of you for so much of your life do not define you and you are more than that and you can transcend that. Um, so I, I feel like the sideways is like very much like that inner world of who you are at your core, who you are in your soul, who you are beyond the flesh and blood of your existence on the island. And so I think that the sideways is really compelling, not all the time, um, but oftentimes when you're kind of viewing it from that perspective of like these people that we are seeing are the reflections of who they believed themselves to be, sometimes who they believed each other to be. Um, And I think that 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 plays really nicely as like, not just an epilogue to Lost, but very much um, more broadly, an epilogue to like the specific stories. Like, for example, I know we're going to have to get into like, does Lost screw over Saeed, right? Does mm-hmm. Lost does Lost give Saeed like a shitty? <laughs> I mean, ending? more more like screw over Nadia. You know, does Lost screw over Nadia? Does it screw over Saeed? Does Lost screw over this person? Does Lost reward this character? Like, are are we getting full pictures? Does it feel like their endings are are things that we can not only live with but be like? Um, um, happy about narratively, whether or not we're happy about it emotionally. Uh, and I think that like the ways in which the sideways interacts with that stuff, you should be able to feel like a certain way about how their characters land on the island, uh, like in like the the quote unquote real world and the main yes. timeline. We'll have to do our cute thing where we come up with ways to differentiate from the sideways to the whatever happened happened world. Uh, something a little pithier and quippier than that. Um, but like as long as like that stuff feels like it has coherent, inherent, internal explanation, I'm good. And then I think the sideways is at its best when it's like underscoring that stuff or clarifying that stuff or enhancing that stuff like john locke's Mm. whole story in the sideways i think like really honors the idea of just because he died not knowing what was going on didn't mean that john locke didn't matter you know so i think like that's the stuff that we're going to be at our best tracking in the sideways the moment we start getting into like but wait they're all already dead how were they able to just kill Kimi? Where does he go when he gets shot in the face when he's already dead? Like, we can have fun with that. The double hell? But yeah, like, like we can, like, definitely canonize and mythologize double hell as much as we want. <laughs> but, like, it is just going to be, like, you know, our own bullshit. Whereas yeah. I think, like, there are, like, actual conversations that we can have about, like, what did this mean about who this character was when they were alive? And exactly. Also who this character is just beyond just when they were alive. What are you when you're not alive? Yeah, well, uh, I think I, that well, these I, are I, fascinating I, conversations. I agree. It's really this idea almost of like a writing exercise of, okay, you're going to write this character. Who would you write? And I think it's an incredible litmus test how some people like a James Sawyer Ford uh, has enough of an arc fulfillment, right? That he writes himself as the good guy. Uh, right. Someone who comes into the show incredibly self-effacing, incredibly detrimental, feeling like he deserves to be tortured is now like, no, I'm, I've seen the other side of things. I want to be the the cop instead of the criminal. And the aforementioned John Locke, I think it's incredibly notable that in The Flash Sideways, he still puts himself in a wheelchair. Now, he does give himself a couple of pluses, right? His dad is a vegetable. Helen is still around. But we're going to get into this later when when Smokey, when John Loki is talking with Ben about this idea of, like, Locke, you know, considered himself a broken man who, you know, the world was essentially shouting at him and he was shouting back. 
you get that sense in the way he characterizes himself in the flash sideways. It's a really fascinating idea of even when you're trying to create like a more idealized version of yourself based on who you are and your subconscious at large, you still might put yourself in a shitty situation. Someone like Jack, for instance, he's living a fine life, but he's going to give himself issues as a father because that's something that is a cornerstone of who he is as a person. It's a really interesting psychological examination of these people that, again, you don't really realize the first time. The first time you watch it, you're more so like, okay, are these just like alternate universe versions? Because I think one thing that, segueing into the episode probably this does so well from the beginning is from the very first scene of which we heard clips of it starts normal and then things start to diverge immediately when we start getting you know uh cindy handing one bottle of vodka to jack instead of two when it is rose comforting jack about the turbulence instead of vice versa you can already tell okay officially you think oh did it work they're up in the air they're just gonna land at lax and then you start to realize no, this isn't the exact same scene as in the pilot. Things are a little different here. And then as we get further and further, those paths diverge even more where you're like, oh, wait, okay, Kate is still a criminal, but Sawyer's a cop now. Hurley owns Mr. Clux. He's the luckiest man in the world. This is incredibly different. And it becomes already at the end of the two-hour episode a very, very different thing than what we assumed from the first scene. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do this, huh? Let's get into the thing. We're going to go forth into the jungle in just a second. Of course, as always, we want you to know you can send your feedback to us down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can always tweet at us as well at a Mike Bloom type at round howard you can also join us in the post show recaps patron discord where we are watching season six live with the patrons of post show recaps this is sort of settled into a monday night routine uh we're looking at 8 p.m eastern by and large across the season uh for those uh live watch alongs we watched lax last night as i'm recording this uh with the patrons of post show recaps we had a really good crowd uh checking it out it's really fun to just like kind of get like some of the thoughts down on paper before we started recording the podcast. So I'm really happy that we have that place that we have built together, much like the sideways uh, of uh, of actual Lost. We are doing this for this final season of Down the Hatch, and it's been really, really rewarding. We invite you to join us for that ride. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Um, sign up, patreon.com slash post show recaps if you are able to do so. It's patreon.com slash post show recaps to check out what we've got going on uh, with uh, these live watches on monday nights throughout the season um let us go forth mike into the jungle it's lax la x uh directed by jack bender co-written by lindelof and Q's, originally airing february 2nd 2010 and we open on not quite an eye uh we mm. open on 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 the clouds uh, yeah. we, we come in through the airplane window and it's the scene that we listen to at the top of the podcast of like Jack being like confused. He's sitting here. We, the viewer on the first watch, are like, oh shit. Oh God, it did it work? It worked. Um, We're quoting Juliet later. It worked. Um, one of the things that I really love about this, Mike, is like there is a way in which there is like the snake eating its own tail. The final scene of all of Lost, right, is going to be Jack dying in the jungle and closing his eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we fade to white and we go to Lost. Um, this is 
effectively kind of the next thing that happens. Uh, so this scene that we get at the start of the season is in some ways the scene after the last scene you get in the entirety of Lost. Yeah. And I also love the fact, too, that it sets up this idea that's going to recur throughout the season of Flash Sideways characters, not necessarily waking up, because, again, the vast majority of that is going to be reserved for the finale, but just getting a sense that something is off, right? It's almost like they experience weird forms of deja vu uh, of like, okay, I feel weird being here for whatever reason. I also love how it's done where we get the previously on where it basically shows like the entirety of the incident. Juliet hitting the bomb and it flashing to white and then that dissolving into the clouds. Like, I think that's very much meant to represent and lead us along to feel like, okay, it did work. This immediately happens the, the other way, but we find out very soon that no, things are just, just a smidge off. Jack was right in his suspicion. Yeah. Something is a little, is a little strange. And yeah, I think that you get the sense that like some people maybe are like further along on this journey than others, but there is going to be, especially for, for Jack, I think throughout his time in the sideways, uh, feeling like something is like Jack is such a man of contradictions, uh, generally, but in the sideways, I think really, especially where like there are ways in which the Jack we see is like very much the classic Jack of like, uh, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. Like things are supposed to be sort of like meat and potatoes, like John Locke once said in white rabbit. Um, and then there are other ways in which I feel like he's the, the Jack that we get in the final season of the show. Nothing is irreversible. A little bit of man of faith. Um, and I think that it's it's no coincidence that like Locke in his like final moments of life started regressing a little bit, losing faith, right? Like mm-hmm, started mm-hmm. like feeling like none of this matters and it's all a joke and I don't understand being literally his last thoughts uh, that he and Jack are going to be able to like maybe speak the same language a little bit more uh, here in the sideways that their relationship is going to be pretty uh, pretty pleasant for the most part. There will be like some moments of push and pull, but they're kind of doing that at each other. Uh, so I think like you get that from Jack and you get that vibe from Jack throughout um, this first episode where Cindy shows up and she's got the drink and it's just playing the same exact way. There's that turbulence. There's Rose. It's normal. He's going to keep her company until Bernard comes back. Then there's the huge turbulence. And I love how we just hang on Jack's face. Yeah. Uh, and like the absolute look of like, I, I call it serenity as like nothing happens. Uh, mm. And Rose says, it's okay. You can let go now. And his hands are still just like, like so tightly gripping the, the armrests. That's a, it's a really, really powerful image in the wake of like knowing what this actually is that this is absolutely especially considering that you can let go now is like essentially what christian's gonna tell jack in the final episode right like now that you've realized everything you've you're all assembled it's time for you to sort of perennially communally let go and open the doors and move into that white light so it's, it's just an incredible setup of what is to come and i love jack's reaction as well right because that very much mirrors ours of okay is the plane going to go down Oh, it didn't. Right. Okay. Okay. This means something. This this very much means something incredibly different. And again, there are still little details where eagle-eyed lost people who had watched the pilot a dozen times would even know at that moment that things are a little off. But for those of us that are more so painting the scene with a broad brush, I think in that moment you're thinking, okay, so this really is 
the version where A15 ends up landing. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll find out once Jack comes back from the bathroom in a couple of scenes that right. there are some interlopers on this flight as compared yes. to who was previously on it. Well, let's do sound number one here, and we'll continue the scene. Uh, I Frank invited it a little bit, so I've taken out the bit where Jack is in the bathroom. So we're going to see the Rose and Bernard stuff, or hear the Rose and Bernard stuff, and then hear the conversation with Desmond, because uh, I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff that we can pick apart from those two scenes. So let's use that as our first sound of the episode. <laughs> Looks like we made it. Yeah, we sure did. Sorry about the unexpected bumps, folks. We just hit a pocket of rough air. Should be a smooth ride from here on out. Remind me to hold it next time, will you? Almost died in that bathroom. Knowing how the laundry feels when it's in the dryer. I missed you. I missed you too, beautiful. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry, mate. Is this your seat? The stewardess said it was empty. No, no, I'm at the window. All right. So, mate, do you mind if I stay here? It's just the fellow next to me has been slowing ever since we took off from Sydney. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, brother. Something wrong? No, no, you just... Do I know you from somewhere? <laughs> no, I'm not sure. Desmond. Jack. Nice to meet you, Jack. Or to see you again. <laughs> Do you think Bernard just covered that bathroom in piss? <laughs> why, Mike? Why? Why? Because <laughs> there's so why? much turbulence and he's why? just like, why? Mike. Mike. God damn it. <laughs> Mike. Oh, sorry. sorry, Jack. Real paint job I did in there. All right, I immediately regret uh, starting the season off with Across the Sea, because clearly you have the golden light on the mind. <laughs> exactly, uh, the heart of the islands just lingering oh, in my I head. All I can think about is water. Poor Bernard. I hate this. I hate, this. I hate it. Um, Rose and Bernard are clearly awake already, right? I think, it, you know what? Maybe it's that moment where they say, like, I missed you and they kiss. Maybe that's their sort of waking up moment that we don't see. Because, yeah, the, the warmness with which they regard each other kind of feels like they're in on it. I feel like they're in on it. I feel like they know. I feel like they know where they are. And I feel like, once again, in true Rose and Bernard energy, they're just waiting for everybody else to figure their shit out. Uh, where it's like, <laughs> we can't move on until these guys figure out that they're dead. Uh, but when they do, we'll be ready to go off into retirement. And I think, like, Rose and Bernard uh, have been, like, the biggest, like, uh, the biggest strife that ever happened with Rose and Bernard specifically was the time they spent away from each other on the island. And then when they get back together, what? They, like, argue over an SOS sign, quickly get over that and realize that they should stay here on the island forever. And sure, later in the season, they're going to have their lives threatened by the man in black. But it happens for, like, five seconds, and they're pretty resolved and good after that. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, uh, I, I think that they are awake here. Like, I think, like, the fact that they had 
had uh, relatively like uncomplicated, happy lives with one another. Um, and like sort of like the central thesis of Lost is like um, the like the power of loving and being loved, like right. letting yourself be loved by others, loving other people. I think it, it sometimes kind of sucks when it's like really hinged on the idea of like you've just got that one special someone I think is really reductive. But I love the idea of like life is worth living because we're all in it together, you know, sort of stuff. Yeah, and I, think, I think with Rose and Bernard, like they're already there, it feels like to me. Well, I also think a lot of that final episode, too, is about finding your person. Not everyone is paired off in the church, but a lot of people get their memories unlocked, uh, you know, by sort of finding their person. And I think that Rose and Bernard benefit from the fact that they are each other's people. Now, obviously, we can talk about how season six omits some key people on 815, obviously nary a sight of Michael or Walt on this, talking about another pair that knew each other. Uh, I know that I believe that Shannon was supposed to be in this episode, but due to scheduling, she wasn't. So now we get like an awkward boon without Shannon surplus in this episode. But I, I just I find it interesting that because these two were sort of each other's soulmates, if we're sort of going from that lost perspective, that because they already had each other, maybe it's just it's a fundamentally easy time for them to find each other. Then, for example, Sawyer happening to go to the hospital where Juliet works and them going Dutch on the candy bar. Right, right. Um, I think like there's there's aspects of it that really work and then other aspects where like I think it's worth evaluating, uh, you know, some of like the messaging that is that is in there. But I think with Rose and Bernard, uh, just on this watch, especially like watching the scene and I, I watched the episode twice, once for notes, uh, once with with the patrons. And I'm very grateful for among the other reasons of, of uh, why we're doing the live watches. I'm going to get to watch everything twice this season. First of all, what a gift. And secondly, uh, I think I will have a better recall as we're doing um as we're doing these episodes mm. uh, and watching it on on both of these occasions i really felt like uh the way that they're interacting with each other these are two people who have like uh a whole history of life you know like uh rose and bernard at this moment in time in reality uh have been together for like a year something like that like they fall in love fast and furious right like it happens quick for them uh and it's like they lived a lifetime in such quick moments um but here it just like it feels like there is there's like ancient history uh underneath that look and i like to imagine it that like Rosen Bernard, like if Hurley lived forever, right? Like if Hurley lived very long uh, as like the protector of the island, I really love to imagine that Rosen Bernard got to live like as long as they wanted to until they were basically ready to to check out. But there is that line of "I missed you," uh, you know uh, that that makes it feel that makes it seem like. Um, you know, uh, who went first, right? You know, Bernard was gone or Rose is gone. Like they maybe didn't go quite at the exact same time, um, but that they are seeing each other again now that like, this is the moment where this world exists. Like they have arrived fully formed into this next stage of existence. So I, I find that to be uh, a, a pretty sweet way of uh, looking at those characters. Um, in between that and the Desmond scene, just really quickly, is when Jack goes to the bathroom, looks at himself in the mirror. He's got, like, the scratch on the neck. Uh, I think it, like, obviously, like, that is from when he's going to get stabbed in the neck by the man in black mm-hmm. in the in the finale. Um, you know, death is a little fresher on Jack than it seems to be on some of these other people. Hopefully they don't all have, like, uh, like the exact hallmarks of uh, how they died on their person here on 815. 
Uh, like, I don't know what that would look like. Uh, I guess Charlie can't breathe. So maybe. Um, I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how much the real life deaths reflect on. Saeed is fully formed. He's not goo. So that's, true. Like, that's good. Saeed's uh, son and Jin are not talking like this. Yeah, you know, like, so for whatever reason, I think this is mostly a Jack thing, but they are like tipping towards that a little bit that this is like after the fact. Yeah, um, De- the, um, the Desmond appearance, I think, is really fun because not only is it a major sign to even, you know, the more casual Lost fans are like, Desmond wasn't on that flight. Yeah, so we clearly up. know something's, something's, something's up. Different. But I, I yeah. also love the imagery, though, that the first person Jack really like notices in this as like something's up is the guy who infamously told him, see you in another life. Right. Uh, that this idea of like, okay, he was the one that pr- planted this seed in my head. And also the fact that it leads to Desmond sort of being this herald. That's going to be his mission the entire sixth season in the Flash Sideways, right? It's like, he's woken up, now he's got to help other people wake up. That is his mission. I like the fact that we're introducing this really early on, even though it's going to be a few episodes until we get more Desmond proper, to introduce Henry and Cusa, bring him back as a main cast member for this season, and be like, Desmond's got some stuff about him once again, I think is a really fun idea. Yeah, I I really love that idea. I think that they start to, and I think like him being somebody uh, who gets to kind of like float between worlds is very Desmond. Um, so we'll we'll have a lot more to mark with that the further along we go. Uh, we're not like quite all the way there yet. Of course, the piece that we don't listen to here is what happens next when we go out the window. We oh splash boy. through the, cra- <laughs> the clouds. We splash through the ocean. We go underwater. There's the Dharma shark. There's the barracks. There's the four toed statue with all the undergrowth on it. The island has sunk. Uh, and I get what they're going for. And, or, well, actually, maybe I don't totally get what they're going for. And I want to talk about that. But uh, it should be noted that the CGI is just atrocious. Uh, it's it's very very bad when you stop that. It feels very like I don't know like mist level graphics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's tough. It's it's tough for this moment that's supposed to be like such a big moment. Um, that for me the emotions of it don't win out over the way that it looks, especially when like I guess I have an issue here, Mike, with how this is played for like drama. Of like, is it bad that the island is on the bottom of the ocean? Uh, oh my God, are, like, should this world even exist at all? That it's like played sort of like as suspense and like a sense of dread feels like uh, like an unnecessary misdirect from the from the overall letting go vibe of the mm-hmm. sideways universe. I think it plays one way when you think that this is an alternate reality. And then for me, I have yet to feel good about how it plays when you know that this is like some form of afterlife. Curious for your thoughts on the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's just bring this up first. This is incredibly jank CGI. Uh, at least the Ajira crash. And wow. The Poster s- Recap's patron Jankinator worked on the CGI on Lost. I apologize no for his work, but it's bad. Uh, uh, sorry, because, Jank. Because <laughs> the, the thing is, at least with the sub and with Ajira, right? Like, that was momentary. Those those shots lingered for maybe, like, 10 seconds at most. But this takes an entire sequence. Like, you feel like they're proud of this. And let me be candid they shouldn't be. This is absolutely PS1 graphics. I thought we jumped into a cutscene from Lost via Domus for yeah. a hot second instead of, you know, an actual big thing to close out the first act of your final season premiere. I have to admit, 
it really took me out of it for a second. And to your point, this is, I think, one of the stickier parts of thinking out of the Flash sideways, right? So it's like, okay, I guess in their universe, the island sank or it was never created because the, the four-toed statue is on the bottom of the ocean floor. So was that the island sank to the bottom or a bunch of stuff just fell in there? And like like the swing set on the Dharma station, how did the island get destroyed? Why did the island get created in the first place? That it, It's an idea that I think works much better if you're not under the pretenses of what the final reveal is, if you're still thinking about it as an alternate universe where the island had sunk at some point, maybe Desmond doesn't turn the failsafe key years earlier, and so it, everything just implodes and sinks, then it makes more sense. But then you think about it as a communal reality. I don't think it, for lack of a better term, holds much water. Yeah, because, like, what does it mean, right? Like, you know, if the island and the time on the island was what mattered the most to these people, and this is why they built this place where they found each other off the island, um, and so, like, they've all, like, in, like, their varying states of existence agreed that the island, as uh, as, like, terrifying as it was, as terrible as it was at times, was also crucial uh, and really, really important to their growth, and so they're, like, the final chapters of their stories. Um, Why would they then all, like, mutually agree that it should be like left to rot and in like you know total decay at the bottom of the ocean floor like it's a little hard for me still to like wrap my head around that and i'm really really eager to get like a great interpretation of that from the audience so like if you're out there and you've got like a really good vibe on like why this works for you please send it in down the hatchet post or recaps.com I, I like no no anything like i really i would love yeah. to read it uh cuz like i just have yet to like figure out a way the season the, the final season of of lost for me is always going to be a journey like i've so much invested in this show so much invested in these characters so much invested in this story um unhealthily so uh that like the final season is always going to be under constant reevaluation for the rest of my life i think uh as as long as i'm uh, you know, going back to the show, which I hope is forever. Uh, so, like, I will, I will always be like changing my mind on this one, and like, uh, really open to like having people like, uh, you know, like put put their influence to 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 work uh, on this stuff. The island being on the bottom of the ocean floor, in addition to just like looking haggard AF, uh, just doesn't fully make sense to me yet. Um, so, somebody illuminate us. I would really, really like that. Speaking um, of illumination, let's blow yes. up a bomb, Josh. Yes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So we relive the, the, the whole end of the incident with the bomb going off and Juliet uh, hitting the bomb. And when we come back, we wake up with Kate. Uh, it's the dead of night. She nearly falls off a tree. It sounds like she's underwater. Uh, yeah. You know, like which, everything which, is underwater. Which makes me assume that indeed, because I know there was some talk in our feedback show, right? Of like, oh, did the bomb really go off? This seems to me to imply that it did. Because I feel like Kate's ears wouldn't be ringing if there wasn't some sort of like major explosion that happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it's, you know, like um, harsh time travel, forced time travel via nuclear blast. Maybe that's just even a little bit rougher than your standard time travel procedure. So that's why everybody's ears are ringing to a certain degree. Um, one of the things I really like here is that like the like the the mainline season, um, you know, like island time begins mm-hmm. uh, this year with Kate and Miles. And one yeah. of the reasons why I really like that is it's so chaotic. This is not really a character pairing. Uh, it's just such a strange twosome to begin the final season with. And I think that like it to me anyway, it sort of like subtly underscores like uh, the chaos in play for the final season that it's like everything's up for grabs. No one knows how this is going to go. Jacob certainly has some ideas and some hopes about where this is going to go, but he's dead and he can't really do anything beyond what he's done. The man in black has done all that he can and now has to try a little bit harder. And uh, some of that like late stage, like senioritis, I think, looping <laughs> in to his plans and why he he messes a whole bunch of this up. Uh, it's like it's everything is up for grabs now. And I think like Kate and Miles being two characters, you just you never think of together ever being the two to start the season off. The two people that you see first is just like a a real like guys where are we kind of moment mm-hmm. I don't know, that's sort of that's sort of how i how i uh receive that stuff no that's really interesting i mean these are two characters that have rarely interacted together now look it's not going to take that long right because kate finds miles she sees the door in the side meaning that okay we're back post hatch uh, and she sees the the sight of the swan implosion, which looks a little different, I can imagine, both from a literal perspective and all the metal debris drawn towards it with the incident, but also probably due to the fact that they couldn't recreate the set, you know, grain by grain. And they find Jack in, in the grass and have to give him the bad news that it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work at all, and uh, Jack gets that news, and he seems pretty defeated as he's looking at the Swan Station, but he seems even more defeated when he gets kicked in the face. Sawyer bodies the crap out of Jack. He is angry. He's probably the angriest I think we have ever seen him. Even in the season one days when he was like starting fights with Saeed, I think there was still a little bit of, of coolness to him. He is boiling hot at the moment. Yeah, well, because, like, this is, you know, I, I think that you're right. I do think that this is the angriest we've ever seen him. Um, And we saw him kill Anthony Cooper. And I think that he's angrier now. And I think it is, uh, in no small part, a function of, like, uh, this this story that we've been tracking of, like, okay, Sawyer gets the thing he's been chasing his entire life. 
midway through the show, through the whole thing, is when he gets to find the real Sawyer. What next? What now? Who are you without that? And who he became was like, a human being uh, and like somebody who was like willing to like uh, to like love and be loved and like have that be authentic and like run away from or not even run away, but like move on mm. from some of the worst things that he once was. And now that's gone. And so what happens in the face of like this, like at least like seemingly forced regression, right? Like this wasn't my choice, um, you know, is at least the the vibe. And I don't want to like victim blame Sawyer that much. So I'm going to be uh, more than happy to say like, yeah, this is forced regression. This wasn't totally your choice. Um, and so he's pissed. He's really pissed. And I and what I love about um, his first words to Jack is how it positions Jack as the new John Locke. Uh, mm. that, uh, and the- Sawyer as the new Jack. And in see in the season two finale, John Locke didn't push the button, and so the hatch implodes, and all hell breaks loose. And he famously tells Mister Echo, "I was I wrong." Was wrong. Uh, and here, Jack did this thing that he thought would, you know, lead to like erasing history and rebooting everything, and you were wrong. And so it's not Jack who says I was wrong, but someone else kicking him in the face with a "You were wrong." And I just love the way in which that's sort of like feels like a, a real uh, Mr. Echo of, uh, <laughs> of John Locke in season two, that now it's Jack who is this person who looks totally wrecked in the wreckage of the Swan Station, uh, of this thing that he felt so sure about being wrong. And yet, neither one of those guys was necessarily wrong, right? Like, what they were doing ultimately mattered and ultimately was important maybe not for the reasons they thought certainly right. not for the reasons they thought but not incorrect to be like following the line on the things that they were trying to do cuz all of it brings them to where they need to go next yeah i really enjoy like you said this this role that i think it brought up a bit in the incident right where sawyer becomes the man of science and jack becomes the man of faith considering that john locke is out of the picture i think that rivalry sort of gets reignited here i mean this is a hell of an episode for josh holloway he gets put through the ringer you feel so bad for sawyer in season six considering what he's went through and for what it's worth jack does feel genuinely remorseful he looks shattered when he finds out like when it all comes together that they're back that from his perspective it didn't work because remember this is the guy that said i've never been more sure about this working in my whole life than anything I've ever believed in before. And he got his lock moment. He was wrong in that regard and it crushes him. And Jack is not going to have that walk about with fake Boone where he, you know, doesn't speak and then realizes that he's a hunter all along. That moment doesn't come for Jack and he has to kind of live in his mistakes. Right. And because they don't, he doesn't have a Desmond to turn the fail safe key and help save the day. He has to live with the fact that Juliet's blood it's kind of on his hands here, and it's a it's a tough tough place for Jack to be, uh, and you feel you feel his reg- resignation here. You know he doesn't know what to do now. He was not very driven. He had to do something, but didn't know what to do for a while in season five. Then thought this was the plan. It doesn't end up working. I think very much a question existing through Jack's mind in the first part of season six is like, what do I do now? Yes. I, th- I thought I was right about this. I'm wrong. I don't know where to go from here. He's going to have a line in what Kate does uh, where he says like where, um, you know, 
he he tells Saeed basically, no, he tells Dogen, uh, he's like, I can't even trust myself. How am I supposed to have like Saeed trust me? You know, like I can't even trust myself is where Jack is right now. Uh, that, that thing where like you're so out of control that you can't trust yourself to, to do anything that you can't trust your instincts. It's a yeah. terrifying place to live yeah. when you, when you, uh, when you're out of control and you know it. Or when you've been out of control and you suspect that maybe that's where you are again, learning how to rebuild trust with people is one of the hardest things in life. Learning how to rebuild trust with yourself is like insanely difficult because you got to live with you. And so Jack is very much going to have to figure out how to live with himself uh, is like a very real, um, like not just existential thing that he's going to have to do this season, but like a very practical one as well, uh, that there are things that Jack can do that Jack should absolutely do. Um, but how to know when it's the time, how to know when it's the right thing to do, how to know when to trust the moment. Very, very hard to accomplish. And I think that that is very much in play from the jump here when not only was he wrong, but being wrong got not just somebody killed, but somebody he also really cared about killed. Yeah. Um, is, Some, someone, is, someone who he was formerly part of a love quadrangle with. And yeah. we should note here that, again, uh, uh, something we should have lo- known all along as to why things are a little different. Josh, RIP flashback drums for a little while. We use different sound effects now to take us in and out of the sideways universe, a clear symbol that this is not the timeline we're used to. Yeah, we're like taking off, right? It's a plane. I think so, yeah. I'm not sure what what sounds they source, but it sounds a lot like that. Uh, so we go to the flash sideways. Jack is online for the bathroom. Uh, he like uh, uh, he like brushes up against Kate, uh, the Marshall. Welcome back to the Marshall. First time on the show since season three, I believe. Yeah, le- I think uh, le- I think his conversation with Kate and Left Behind was the the last time he appeared on the show. Doesn't feel terribly long ago for some reason. I don't know. Uh, maybe just because of like the I consistency mean, of doing shorter, this. Shorter number of episodes in seasons four and five yeah. too certainly yeah. helps things. But yeah, Kate is uh, served up some lasagna. Two references came to mind for me, Josh. First was airplane, right? Yes. When it's like the chicken or the fish, I had the lasagna. And also Seinfeld. Uh, is it Elaine like stuck on a plane with the vegetable lasagna guy? That's the first thing I thought of. We'd have to ask Robin Akiva in the Bubble Boys podcast mm-hmm. uh, before uh, for, for expert uh, expertise on that front. I'm uh, scandalized by the Marshall not uh, not only not giving the knife and fork to Kate, um, but then expecting her to just like, like how is she going to eat this? What are you yeah. going to do? You're going to like, her hands? are you going to, are you going to like, fold the flimsy container of lasagna into something resembling like a cup and you're just going to drink your lasagna? Like, how are you going to do this? I think it's very clear. I think don't like, if you don't want to give Kate utensils, fine, give her a spoon. I think with a spoon, you're able to get something going. It's going to be one of the most awkward things to use while eating lasagna but if your fear is really no hey, that lasagna is mostly slop mike uh <laughs> you could for sure spoon the lasagna you're absolutely right the instinct here is correct this is the move get her a spoon yeah i because i think and also i mean he is a little bit in the right and that we're gonna find out later that ken is macgyvery enough to use a pen to break out of her restraints uh, so i can understand not giving her the knife or even the fork if you you know trust your eyeballs but the spoon is a very tough blunt instrument to wield Yes, uh, I think the spoon would be the way to go. I, I like the Marshall's odds against a spoon, um, but I really hate the Marshall expecting Kate to eat lasagna without any utensils. Uh, either get her a spoon or ask, like, do you guys have anything that she could eat with her hands? Be a exactly. human. A sandwich. Even though, you're, 
you're all dead, but be a be a human person here. You know, like so. Uh, yeah, so uh, we get a little bit of bump in Law and Order, though, right? As Sawyer ends up bumping into Mars, and I feel for Josh Holloway in this episode for many ways. One of them is he has to wear the stupid. 2004 Sawyer t-shirt over the long sleeve shirt fashion statement while he's riding in this plane like six years after the time he wore it in real life. And I think like that's the thing is like six years doesn't seem like the longest amount of time but like you can for sure see Josh Holloway in six years is not the same Josh Holloway from the pilot. And that's like no shade whatsoever other than like six years of life has been accumulated by all of these people. Uh, And like this is not like that Sawyer. Like even the hair is like really, really different. Uh, so it's hilarious. It's really, really funny the way that he looks uh, with the yeah. With like the you, you can tell Sawyer he, he doesn't really feel comfortable in it, right? Like it doesn't really fit him well, and he knows it. I mean, if you're talking about how six years can take a, a toll on a person, I mean, six years ago, Josh, I was just getting married. So I think yeah. if like I wore Life the same, if I wore the same clothes as married father Mike Bloom as I did like swinging bachelor Mike Bloom back in 2015. I don't think the same clothes would fit me well either. So good luck to Josh Holloway for having to do that. And Hurley as well. I'm trying to remember if this is the same Hurley hair length as season one or if they like kept it at that length that they did for seasons four and five. We got to watch uh, some of the Oceanic 815 scenes from season one simultaneously with the Oceanic 815 scenes from this episode. That's the way that we're going to know. Um, Arst wants Hurley to do the commercial. Come on, do it. Arst, yes. Uh, I love this. And I think, again, this is a symbol of how, again, the one last ride prospect that we're bringing back these characters that maybe are not beloved, but certainly ones that have been like testaments hallmarks of the series since the very beginning we have arst here we just talked about the marshal frogert's gonna be the one sort of sleeping between boone and Locke. he'll have a much larger role to play later on in the episode i enjoy this this is like a fun little feeding for the lost fans right of like hey remember this person yeah they're dead or they got you know they got written off the show but now they're back to make a cameo it's, it's a very fun oh look at them yeah, I really enjoy it. I love seeing Arst again. It's been way too long. It's definitely been since season three yeah. uh, that we've seen Arst. So I, since Expose, I believe, I, I really love uh, getting him back on the show. And just like the way in which he's enamored of Hurley. I want to shout out Hurley's uh, seatmate. Uh, there's this dude who's just like reading on like his Kindle or reading a magazine or something. He's got headphones on and he's clearly sitting next to this world famous guy in, in Hugo Reyes. And he's not saying anything thing to him so respectful on an international mm. flight uh that person probably also knows that he's dead and it's just like one of the most like self-actualized <laughs> you think he ever. woke up when he sat next to her and he's like oh i'm just not gonna tell him his constant was his crossword puzzle and he's like oh. I'm back. Yes. yes yes so uh, uh. so we find out that hurley <laughs> has lived a very different life he still yes. won the lottery Luckiest guy ever but yeah. every everything fell in his direction and he is the owner he is the owner of mr clucks like he was i can't remember if in the real timeline he was the owner or he just like brought he bought one of the stores like he but he was a franchiser not really the owner but it seems like in this case he's the owner and i guess face of Mr. Clucks, like yeah, he's, sort of, he's, he, he's sort of like the he Papa, does, he the does Papa commercials. John. Yeah, he's like the Bob of Bob's Discount Furniture. He does commercials for it. Uh, there's um, when you uh, in the lead up to season six, they yes. were really like you know like doing all this crazy stuff. Yeah, they, yeah, the they did, I think at Comic Con 2009, I believe they did like they released a series of parody commercials with Hurley for Mr. Clucks. 
Yeah, uh, it's really, uh, it's really, it's really fun. Uh, some of that stuff to go back and look at, but like, yeah, he's like doing like, uh, they have, they have Jorge Garcia in the commercial and everything. I love that. Like, so if the sideways is a reflection of who these people actually are, both in terms of like how they viewed themselves, uh, you know, and sort of like their subjective experiences, but also like how they are more than their subjective experiences and that they are, um, you know, that there's like, you got to forgive yourself. You got to like be good with yourself. And once you reach that, you can transcend and move on hurley's like baseline like he's coming into the afterlife without a ton of baggage huh yeah like he's coming into the afterlife being like nah you know what i'm really really lucky and like his experiences after the show lost very clearly are positive enough that he's able to come to this world and feel really good about the life he lived i love that i love it so much yeah he has probably the most like complete idealized version of himself out of all these characters right it's like you know you know what i deserve to be lucky i make your own i make my own luck i've realized that and i love that because we love hurley and the fact that he has that enough of self-satisfaction with his time in this mortal plane to create this version of himself who's doing very very well off the richest character on the show sees a lot about how hurley's self-esteem issues have really gone from night to day from seasons one to six uh, we transition back to island time with Hurley. Um, Saeed is like uh, brutalized by the van still. Uh, they hear Sawyer going off in the swan crater. Uh, Jack and Sawyer are still like yelling at each other. Really Sawyer yelling a lot yeah, at Jack. This is more, it's more so Jack, I think, just being like dog with a tail between his legs, right? Just yeah. being like, because now it's almost like they're down in the imploded swan hatch. It's become more of like an arena where Sawyer's just pacing around like a tiger in a pit and just yelling at Jack while Kate and Miles awkwardly stand there. Um, so that's going on, and they're almost yelling too loud to hear Juliet is still alive. Kate's the one who hears it, um, and this is going to set them all into action for what is uh, much of the rest of the first half of the episode is like sort of like the struggle to save Juliet. Is it too late? I know that there's a lot of uh, questions about like, is this necessary? Do we need this? Is this too much? Um, I'd be curious for your thoughts before before I get to mine. Yeah, here's my thoughts. I think LAX is a very good episode. I think it's a little bloated, if we're being completely honest. Uh, I think that it's a big episode, right? They made this a two-hour episode. Part of me kind of wishes, if they didn't have this network format, would this episode work as running 50 to 60 minutes? I think so. Uh, and I think part of it is Temple stuff, and I think part of it is this Juliet stuff. I, I talked about this during the incident it it brings, I guess, some, like, completion to the Sawyer-Juliet stuff. Like, she gets her final goodbye with Sawyer, which you think maybe he deserves. I honestly could live without it. At the yeah. time, I was like, do we really need to do this? Like, I almost, it's weird to say, I would much rather have, like, the shock of Juliet dying brutally in the finale than, like, having this odd coda on top of it. It does provide a nice moment, I think, for some of these characters to put their differences aside and interact that being said to your point this essentially becomes the on-island storyline for this group for the first half of the episode and i don't think it's entirely necessary nor is it that particularly strong i think um one of the things one of the functions it does serve like to devil's advocate it a little bit um is because i've been thinking about like 
is it defensible, you know, beyond like we want to see Elizabeth Mitchell one more time, but gosh, do we want to see her like this, um, you know, with a character that we really, really, really love and the way in which her exit was so brutal already and it has clearly brutalized Sawyer and just brought him all the way back down. Um, I think one of the things that it does is it does sort of like help underscore whatever happened, happened, now what? You know, like I think Mm -hmm. like it is like this like, like they they like are once again trying to defy fate almost uh that Juliet was gone now there is this chance that she's not uh and they're going to do everything they can to like undo what happened but no what happened happened uh you can't change what happened she is gone uh and now what are you going to do now how are you going to live with yourself i do think like that is such a theme for not just lost uh overall but very specifically the final season is like how do you live with yourself uh, is like the thing that all of these characters are going to have to answer for themselves in some way, shape, or form. How is Jack going to live with himself now that he can't trust himself? How is Sawyer going to live with himself without Juliet, with her being gone? Um, you know, all of these questions, I think, are very much in play. And I think, like, having them all have to, like, get their hopes up again and then have them summarily dashed in no time at all and go back to, like, the like the absolute sorrow of where they were is horrible to watch but maybe does have some plot function and thematic function from that lens. I could see that. I think there is merit. In my opinion, it's not very strong merit. You know, I think if you're talking about resounding, for lack of a better term, aftershocks from this earthquake, there might be something to, like, having these characters calm down a bit and Sawyer actually, like, sit in and ruminate over the fact that Juliet is gone. I, I can see the the impulse, as you said, to start the season off by, like, providing us hope and then snatching it away. But it still doesn't feel necessary to me. You know, I'd rather just cut out the middleman and maybe give them an opportunity to sort of mire in that misery for a hot second. And I think really just come to terms with the fact of losing her. I mean, we'll also talk about it. I also don't... The the Sawyer-Juliet goodbye scene, I think, is acted well and does some fun foreshadowing for how it ends, but is also kind of a nothing burger of what it actually does. So maybe that's that's coloring my opinion a little bit. I think if I were to do a rewrite or a re-edit of, you know, what the the uh, what LAX would be, this is something that I feel like either probably not completely omitted, but probably would be cut down a lot. Because that's the other thing as well, is we just get so much about, okay, Juliet's alive. Go get the van. Go get the winch. Pull out all the debris. Yep. Like, they really spend so much time on it that when it ends oh, up being... But- the good news is it makes it a little easier for us to podcast a two-hour episode. We could just kind of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, oh, most yeah, of that. They, they go get the van, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, that you're yeah. at the time. And I, I wonder if it also links back to Saeed dying, too. Like, the, the surprise of the ending of him coming back to life when, like, we just saw a character die again. And this idea of, I guess Saeed's dead, too. Oh, wait, no, he's not. That's right. a bit of subverting of expectations. I, I just wish either it was done stronger or it was done less. Yeah, I think that that's totally fair. Um, okay, so she is currently still alive. We're going to work on that. Saeed is currently still alive as well, but he's not looking great. He's coughing up blood. He has this really sad moment yeah. um, when he says to Hurley, when I die, what do you think will happen to me? 
I've tortured more people than I can remember. Mm-hmm. Wherever I'm going isn't going to be very pleasant. I, um, I, and he follows it up with, I deserve it as well, which really underlines how he feels about himself. It's it's really, 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 really super sad. Uh, and I think that this vibe is very alive in Saeed throughout the final season. Um, you know, when he comes back, a lot of this is still going to be there, that he's like gotten like this second chance at life. And, you know, sometimes when you get a second chance, you uh, you don't just like make the best of it. Sometimes you get a second shot and you you treat it uh, with with, you know, all of the care of a bull in a china shop. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think like that is going to be an element of Saeed's story in uh, in the final season that he is just going to like be like, well, I must have been brought back to life to murder more people and to uh, continue to sell my soul to bring the woman that I love out of hell. You know, like, you know, all the things that I'm willing to sacrifice in order for that to be uh, to be the case. And then I think it's when, like, the man in black's spell finally wears off that he's really able to, like, wake back up and get back to, to who he was before. But a lot of that energy is very clearly alive in the way that Saeed views himself in the Flash sideways. Um, that, like, in, like, the final summation of his life, you know, when Saeed... Like, the last chapter of Saeed's living life is very, very bleak. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just the final season. He's an assassin for years. His wife is dead. Uh, he kill you know, he tries to kill a kid. Like the whole thing is very messy and dark and bleak. And it's really only from the moment that he like kind of gets like partly woken up by the dude he shared so much time with in season four in the constant of like no like you're better than this that he's like a little bit opening the door to like looking at that. And finally does like a thing where he's like, I'm ready to go and I have a purpose now. And that purpose is to save these people who can save everybody else. Um, and I think like he's just he's nowhere near that yet. And I think uh, whether or not the plane lands as it regards Saeed, um, I think is is very fairly justifiably up for debate. I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation that we're going to have yep. all season long. And I can see myself already trying to bend over backwards, trying to like justify it. Uh, you know, it's maybe okay to just be really mad about how the show treats Saeed, but mm-hmm. I think it is at least worth the effort of trying to be like, well, that sucks. Can we make it work for us? Uh, I think is, is not uh, a fruitless exercise. Yeah, And I think also this is a great moment to remind us of the, uh, he's our you sort of outlook from Saeed because remember Saeed is the one who says you're right I am a murderer and he shoots and kills a child uh, basically feeling like I am a dark person who does dark things this is just a reminder of how he feels about himself in some of his last moments the first time and how that is going to inform I think this world that he builds for himself which is very punishing I find it really interesting how Sawyer and Saeed start and end their journeys. Right here you have Sawyer, the self-destructive, I'm a bad man who does bad things, and Saeed very much being the, like, you know, bleeding heart, I do bad things before good reasons. And we end things, Saeed saying, I'm a bad person who does bad things, and Sawyer, I'm, I do bad things for good reasons, bleeding heart. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
This is where Saeed's at. Hurley hears noises in the jungle. He grabs a gun that he has no idea how to use, which is very funny. He's like, I got a gun and I know how to use it. He clearly doesn't. He's struggling yeah, with it. Yeah, it's a page out of Daniel Faraday's book. Uh, he, he didn't get something for a beginner. Really, really funny. Uh, and here is Jacob. Uh, hello, Hugo. You got a minute. We'll get back to him in uh, a couple of minutes. Um, first, we flash sideways once again. We're on Oceanic 815. Uh, Jin and Sun are kind of like staring longingly at Bernard and Rose. They just seem so happy. Uh, a lot of this feels like kind of regressive of like button your sweater type stuff. Yeah, uh, this is a uh, little bit of season one, Jin. They're not going to make him a huge a-hole, but you know, it's clear that he's still on business for Mr. Paik and uh doesn't doesn't want sun to be gawked at by anybody on the flight right like their whole but their whole story obviously is like they're not together in this timeline and i think like that's very evocative of like how they ended their lives like so desperately trying to get back to each other and they got back to each other only to get ripped away so they still have like a little more work to do to get back together i think is is kind of the vibe here um Lock and Boone, uh, what's up, Ian Summerhalder, are chatting it up uh, with Neil Frogert passed the F out in the middle. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious, just like the slack-jawed, like, uh, yeah. uh, mouth-breathing, sleeping Frogert getting that airplane mouth, which we all know and uh, cherish. Oh, God, so dry. Especially so in these dry. days. <laughs> you know, another benefit of the mask, uh, perhaps, is to, like, keep those uh, keep those flies out of your mouth on a plane um and so yeah we're just like kind of like getting like uh like a little bit more of like the ways in which things are different Locke says he went on the walkabout he did not he did uh, not he's because he's still wheelchair lock so you'd assume that the same thing happened with troyzan no and he's he's still li- like here he's lying about it uh we will get into that more in the substitute he did not go on the walkabout but he's talking about it very confidently Boone uh, went to get Shannon out of a bad relationship, but she didn't want to get out of it. So he's coming back without Shannon. Um, Does anyone have a good answer for that other than Maggie Grace unavailable? I don't know. At me, please. Um, Yeah, because she'll eventually come back, right? Which is how Saeed is going to wake up with Shannon after uh, the attempted mugging. That's not actually a mugging. Yeah. uh, So I don't really know. Uh, It's... (laughs) It's totally whatever. Uh, but yeah, he basically says to Locke after hearing all the stories um, uh, that like, oh, my God, you seem incredible. If anything goes down, I'm sticking with you. Mm. Um, I think he does have this line where he says, you're not pulling my leg, right? Yep. Which I yep. found particularly notable considering that's like that's what woke Boone up before he died was like. Yo, you're not pulling my leg off, okay? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're not going to bring down the plane door on my <laughs> like, leg. Also, you're I, not pulling my leg, right? Like, I also love, because uh, Locke is, of course, being a total dweeb and actually reading the flight safety guide to pass the time. And Boone basically says, like, hey, if this plane goes down, my, their chances of survival is zero, given the fact that this guy went down in a plane and very much did not have a survival chance of zero, uh, even though he asked to be let go. I just think it's a really fun reintroduction of, of Ian Summeralder. I think it's a really well-written scene that I think pokes a lot of references to the relationship of these two guys, which we really haven't seen. And we saw metaphorically in uh, further instructions, but haven't seen since season one. It's it's fun to watch these two interact again. Totally, totally agreed. Uh, Meanwhile, on the island, John Locke is dead. Long live John Loki. Uh, The smoke monster is still just like kind of poking around. Jacob is gone. 
Uh, he tells Ben, this shell-shocked Benjamin Linus, I want you to go and get Richard for me. Uh, tell Richard I'd like to speak with him. What would you like to speak with him about? That's between me and Richard. Um, outside, Richard and Bram and Ilana are all arguing rather than, I don't know, doing something. Uh, <laughs> Frank and Son are observing this. Ah, uh, yes, my favorite three wise men brought the Frank and Son. The Frankenstein, uh, and uh, uh, Frank says, "Like I was with them long enough to to know that they call themselves the good guys, and I'm not really buying it." Um, so here's the show using a character we trust to question, like the morality of the agents of Jacob. Here's the here's the show using a character that we really love across the board. If you don't like Frank Lapidus, like at the very least, like Frank Lapidus, you know, mm-hmm. um, and like having him being like, "Yeah, I'm not buying that these guys are the." good guys i think that that speaks to the idea that like the show is on the side of like uh both the man in black and jacob may have reasons to be doing the things that they've done and also have things that they are doing horribly wrong and have not done well uh so i i think that this is a point in the column of like jacob is not the paladin you know like jacob is not like the all powerful all things that jacob does are good uh, vibe. I think that the show definitely does argue in the complexity of uh, of Jacob and um, uh, his his ways about things. Yeah, I, I think I think in general it's an argument in the in, against blind faith, no matter what the character is. Like that's right. that's what you, we've talked about a lot with John Locke. You can't be a man yes. of science. You can't be a man of faith. The answer always lies somewhere in between. And I think like the AOJs, for instance, which are devoutly committed to Jacob. Having all these people just arguing with each other, proselytizing that they're the good people while doing some pretty naughty things, I think is just a thematic message from Darleton, essentially saying, like, yeah, don't throw yourself completely behind something without thinking it through first and applying some rational logic. Everything works in measures. Yes, everything works in measures. Uh so I I think that that's great. And also, like, the blind faith is going to get Bram killed in a second here. Uh, so I think, like, again, the show is going to make that argument that you're that you're talking about. Uh, ben comes out, tells Richard, yeah, John wants to speak to you. Is Jacob all right? Yeah, of course. John Everything's just wants to talk fine. to you. Uh, and Richard's like, well, I would be very happy to talk to John, but maybe you should talk to him first. And he throws Ben down in front of Locke's body, and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Michael Emerson does just a great job of playing shell-shocked this entire episode, because this is, again, a new version of Ben who has no idea what happened, who got tricked, essentially. And, like, he doesn't know. He's much like Jack from that perspective. He thought it would work, and he doesn't feel any better after it happened. And now, all on top of that, he realizes that he's been hoodwinked. Yeah, it's great. Love that. Big fan. Uh, I think I think the, the Ben vibe in this episode is really, really good. Um, back at the Swan Station, they're pulling the wreckage off of Juliet. Everybody's, like, working on it. I think one of the things that I, I like about this is, like, everybody working together to lift a thing out of a central point of the island. Again, we're mirroring the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that is going to be the plot of the finale. The plot of the first hour of this episode of the season is the plot of the final hours of this episode, of this, uh, of this season of uh, we got to we got to lift the cork. We got to lift the beam. Uh, like, I think that that's, uh, that's just like a fun way that this thing uh, all feeds into itself. Uh, let's get back to some sounds. Let's listen to we'll, we'll do sound number two here. This is going to be the Jacob and Hurley conversation that I think is a, a, a really good moment where we are once again beginning. Um, we're like really this season, Mike, we're marking the path of Hurley's full transformation into leader mm. mode. This scene is a really important piece to that. Let's listen in sound number two. Where are you going, dude? 
What are you doing here? I mean, I meet you in a taxi. You know everything about me, and you give me a plane ticket with just so happens to get me back on this island. How'd you know that was gonna happen? Hello? Can you hear me? Why are you answering my questions? Look, my friend Jin's gonna be here any second, so you better stop ignoring me. Your friend Jin won't be able to see me. Why not? Because I died an hour ago. Sorry, dude, that sucks. Thanks. How'd you die? I was killed by an old friend who grew tired of my company. You want me to do something crazy again, don't you? No. I need you to save Saeed Hugo. Well, that's why Jin went to go get Jack. Jin can't help him. You need to take Saeed to the temple. That's the only chance he's got. And the rest of them will be safe there. The temple? You're supposed to know what that is? Jin knows. Tell him to take you to the hole in the wall where he was with the French team. Through that opening, you can get into the temple. You still have that guitar case I gave you? Yeah. Bring it. Who are you, dude? Jacob. on your communication skills a little bit buddy all right uh let's workshop it how would you improve this mike who killed you my old friend who grew tired of my company say it's your brother say it is your brother don't beat around the bush here it's my brother he's my twin brother technically because we were born at the same time got a weird little rivalry going on i technically killed him first and now he killed me uh and also hey take saeed to the temple where's the temple chin will know I know it's been three plus years since Jin has gone to that location, but surely he will know the location to the hole in the wall that he experienced all that time ago. Now, if you told me to find like a restaurant I went to three years ago, I could not tell you where it would be whatsoever. I think that's a lot of faith in Jin. I think this is textbook Jacob, right? Like, I'm not going to lead the horse to water. I'm going to tell someone to lead the horse to water for me. He's uh, shunting his work off onto other people. You know, and especially because later on in Lighthouse, uh, Jacob is going to, like, tell Hurley to take Jack to the lighthouse. And he's going to say, like, get a pen. You're going to need to write some shit down. Um, Like, maybe, like, here while he's at a Dharma van where there probably is a pen somewhere in, like, (laughs) you know, the glove compartment. um, Like, maybe write, like... I will tell you how to get to the temple. These are the directions. This is not the time for Sphinxian riddles, Jacob. Exactly. That's, that's, uh, I mean, that, and it really shows, I think, just in depth. I mean, this dude's only been dead an hour, but he's still trying to be that Jacobian presence, right? Mm-hmm. All right, I might be beyond the grave, but I can still influence these candidates. Jacob, what are you doing? Just be direct here, especially because this is going to be one of your progenitors here. This is going to be the guy who ends up having the keys to the island. Yeah, it really is like in retrospect, like so obviously uh, that um, that Hurley ends up being the new man in charge, right? That like he's the one who's communicating with Jacob. He sees Jacob. Jacob's coming to him. Like I think Jacob must suspect even like towards the end of this uh, his life and why he pushes Hurley to go back to the island. Um, I really feel like there is we never see Jacob meet Hurley as a younger person. Yeah, I think that there's certainly an interpretation of Hurley, uh, like you know, through his like cosmic bad 
luck type stuff, like, you know, winding up on Oceanic 815. He certainly goes into the past, so he kind of has to be there, um, but is maybe not somebody that Jacob has on his radar. And it's just like the way that he'll check him out is just to see how that plays. Uh, and I think of like his island observations of Hurley, you can imagine the world where he's like, yeah, that guy, uh, let me put him on the candidates list. He could be one. Uh, and like more and more being like, yeah, that guy is the guy. Like that guy is the one. Um, I think like there is just like something so there's such a unicorn quality to Hurley on the show Lost uh, and of the people on the island that he's just like one of these things that's not like the others uh, so much so that he should probably lead the others, uh, I think, is uh, is in play here. So Jacob's coming to Hurley, not for the last time. Uh, first time this season, Ghost Jacob coming to Hurley, but not for the final time. Um, he does say like uh, he knows Jin will know where to go to the hole in the wall with the French team that I always hear as Jacob saying the French teen, like the <laughs> French teenager. Yeah. Well, uh, how, how old was uh, Daniel Rousseau? You know, I suppose that's right. Uh, and so when they're in the van and Hurley's like, hey, Jin, do you know where the hole is in the wall is with the French teen? Uh, that Jin's like, yeah, I do. It was Danielle. How did you know? Exactly. That's the other thing as well, is that it's going to be an interesting conversation as to, like, Hurley, why are you asking me this question? And we'll get into the guitar case in a little bit. There's so many questions about the guitar case. Yeah, not the least of which is uh, that uh, it's 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 uh, like looks like a sixth grade uh, prop. Yeah, it very much looks Uh, like Plato model magic created an onk. It's not great. It's not fantastic. Um, Flash sideways. uh, Is there a doctor in the house? Speaking of musical theater. uh, And Jack is going to get summoned to uh, the bathroom. Uh, He's going to try to open the door. Here comes sideways Saeed. And no matter what this dude thinks of himself, he knows that he can one-shot a bathroom door. I love side Saeed showing up and saying like, oh, perhaps I could be of service. And all he does is just kick in the door. (laughs) Yeah, Saeed weighs rocks, you know, like, in this moment, if nothing else, like, I feel bad for the guy in terms of, like, how he views himself and everything, but, like, man, Saeed weighs is a, is a, is a, is a real ride or die here. We're really missing an episode called Saeed weighs, where it's, like, Saeed and Kimi going to all these various wineries in the area and just, like, waxing a pine. Uh, so Charlie's in there. Hello, Dominic Monaghan. So great to see you. He's yeah, and it's, it's a big cut, right? They say like, oh, he's not breathing. We don't see his face. And the camera finally focuses on him. And we're like, oh, my God, Dominic Monaghan with much shorter hair than OG Charlie. But still. Yes. Uh, so here he is. He's like uh, he's he seems like he's uh, about to die again after death. Uh, and Sawyer even is like going to offer some help to Cindy. He's shot down fast. Uh, Jack is going to be able to like fish out a pouch of heroin from inside Charlie's throat. And as soon as he does that, Charlie is alive. He's alive again. And mm-hmm. uh, Charlie's not thrilled to be alive again. Yeah, he, he says terrific, just like he did in the pilot, which is very fun. And we should also notice here, Jack tries to do the pilot-esque tracheotomy with the pen, but his pen is missing, and he has no boon to get a pen for him. And I think we'll find out later, assumingly, that Kate filched Jack's pen off of him, right, when she bumped into him? Yes, uh, I think that that is correct. That's what she's going to use to to bust out of her handcuffs. Yeah, I think, that, I think that makes the most sense. Plus, it's also fun to have Kate sort of do that, like, Cassidy-esque Sawyer trick of bumping into somebody and pickpocketing them. 
Yes, a uh, very good move. Um, they use the Dharma van back on the island time to pull the wreckage off of Juliet, and Sawyer gets to reunite with Juliet for the first of a couple of scenes here, uh, where she is currently still alive. Uh, she's like lucid at at this moment, um, where she realizes it didn't work. She had she had hit the bomb, and we're still here on the island. And so she says, "Why'd you hit the bomb?" And she says, well, I wanted you to be able to go and and uh, make it that you never came here. And it didn't work. Uh, and it's very sad. So it's just like holding her and saying, it's going to be all right. We're all going to go home together. And yeah. that is not entirely right. Um, Jack has nothing that he can do to fix Saeed, unfortunately. But Hurley says, well, uh, Jin can take us to the temple. And if we get to the temple, we can fix him. And Jack says, how do you know that? And he says, this guy, Jacob, told me. Uh, and Jack seems a little uh, a little sus of this. Yes. And and Hurley says, well, can you fix Saeed? And Jack says, I can't. And Hurley says, then you're going to have to let me do it. And, yep. Uh, yep, 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 yep. This is a double-bolded underline of the way the series ends. Yes. Right? Like, Hurley is the one to save the day, not Jack, the person everyone expects. It is Hurley who comes through in the hour of need. Totally foreshadows the protector of the island status. Yes, really, really great. And I love that this is like a dynamic between Jack and Hurley throughout the season. There's going to be a few times where Jack's like, Hurley, this is your plan. Whatever you want to do, I'm on board. Uh, So we're already getting there. Um, Back at the statue. Okay, so this is going to be uh, the smoke monsters coming out party, right? Coming Uh, coming out out party, yes. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to get it here uh, where uh, where the the artist formerly known as John Locke, John Loki here, is really just going to sass the hell out of the agents of Jacob before he murders them. I really Uh, love the image of John. John Loki sitting in the chair as well, because it really is reminiscent to me of Cabin Fever and Christian Shepard, which we know canonically is the smoke monster himself. So it's almost like creating that that symmetry of imagery of sitting in the chair, being the one to carry out the orders. Yes, uh, it's great. I just love how he goes, well, you guys are Jacob's bodyguards, right? Well, there's nothing for you to protect anymore. Jacob burned up an hour ago, so you're free. <laughs> you're free. Uh, free to go. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you some severance for your time. Thank you so much. And they're like, nah. And they just shoot at him and the bullets bounce right off of him. Yeah, it's really, really great. And then so he he disappears, comes back, full on smoke monster form, uh, eviscerates a bunch of people. A couple of my least favorite line reads of the season, if not the series, coming from from Bram, uh, where he goes, get him! And then, where is he? Uh, yeah, I, hate I mean, that. Th- this entire scene is just, again, jank. Uh, I think Jim Fells pointed out that I think this is the worst smoke monster CGI we've seen up to this point. Uh, Maybe it's a little hard because it's like such uh, confined quarters and it just doesn't read quite as well. Yeah, but yeah, but Smokey himself is doing like Three Stooges stuff, right? Like banging the AOJs together like they're little dolls. It's it's a little rough. Uh, And then there's like this real the cinematography in this scene is really odd, right? Like we have the odd shot of like it quickens right up to bram before he pours the circle of ash like it just seems something that lost doesn't do it seems like more out of john Locke's trippy dream sequence that that type of speeding up would happen i don't know why like we some have of the stuff here. that we we used to complain about in like season one like tabula exactly. rasa like kate coming out of the tent slow motion type stuff like it feels like it's not quite that but it feels like a cousin of that 
Yeah, and then there's also just weird fight choreography as well, right? Like, oh, Bram makes a circle of ash, but then John Loki brings down a pillar to knock a rock, which knocks Bram out of the circle of ash, so he gets staked. It's just a, it's a really awkward as, scene. As usual, I think the answer here should be character, and like, I think that the better way to play this is like to stay with Ben and Ben watching this. Like, you gotta oh, bring the smoke I love monster that. in. You gotta bring the smoke monster in. You gotta see smoke. Like, you need to have that much, but the actual like action like can just be like horror on Michael Emerson's face. He would sell that so and, easily, and even more so if you want to use CGI to a smaller effect, I have it reflect in his eyeballs, yeah. and then I, yeah. I think that makes it even more menacing when we don't see what happens he transforms back into Locke and says i'm sorry you had to see me like that like i think this is one of those instances where what the image we create in our mind is going to be much better than whatever they end up coming up with there just needs to be like something that and i i understand the instinct like we need to unequivocally know this that that the guy we're dealing with for the final season is the smoke monster that this is the answer to the smoke monster is that the smoke monster is like the arch enemy of the show uh like i i i get that and so like i understand why that's here and especially on like a network show like you kind of have to make that pretty obvious for the viewer um in a in a recut i think that that is a great way to do it lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Graham surrounds himself with a with an ash ring as though that is going to protect him. Uh, like you think that this badge is going to protect you. You think this piece of paper <gasps> is uh, is going to be the thing like very Jamie Lannister against like Ned Stark mm-hmm. type stuff. Uh, he just smashes the ceiling. It forces Bram out of the ash circle. And then he's able to just like desecrate Jacob's precious tapestry with a bit of Bram uh, <laughs> skewers him on the loom. Um, and so that's the death of Bram, and that is John Loki's coming out party, coming out as the smoke monster. I'm sorry you had to see me like that. It's such a hammy line, and I love it. It's it, it, so it, corny. It gets sold really well by T.O.Q. He does a great yeah, job but it's with so, it. It's so corny. It's really, really cheesy, and I I do not mind the cheese at all. I love the cheese. Uh, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great little bit here. Um all right, so back at the uh, the whatever's left of the Swan Station, um, Sawyer is trying to get Juliet out, and uh, he will be unsuccessful. Let's listen in. So help us all. Sound number three. I get coffee sometime. I gotta get you out of here. We can go touch. Juliet, 
James. Kiss me. You got it, Blondie. Josh Holloway is so expressive. Uh, like, just like you, when you compare and contrast, like, uh, his turn as Sawyer all the way back in the day in the very first season versus like where he is now, uh, like, you know, this guy who wouldn't like let you see anything about him emotionally to this, this, like, this total wreck of a human now who just like has like, you know, full leakage out of his face. <laughs> uh, just like, it's just, it's, oh, we're so, talking about Bernard again. Oh God! It's just—it's horrible. It's so, so, so brutal to watch, and I think uh, he really sells it in this episode a couple of times. This is obviously yeah. uh, like the really, really big emotional moment. No, I love this scene because of how uh, after she dies, the—I'm going to use this odd term, adverb, and verb included—exhaustedly sobbing is what I wrote in my notes. It's this idea that like he is still heaving emotion as he cries over her body he thought he had her back and now she's gone but like there is such exhaustion behind it too i think the adrenaline has worn up the emotional and physical ramifications have finally caught up to him and you could really tell that in his performance but there still is fury there you know staring daggers at jack saying you did this again very evocative to me in a very different way but still similar sentiments to what happened with boone Right where after Boone dies, we end do no harm with Jack saying like I'm going to go get John Locke. He's the one who did this. Very similar idea here with Sawyer. The Juliet stuff, yeah. So obviously this is hinting towards the Flash sideways, right? She her mind is clearly already there. She's one foot out the door, and so she's she's saying stuff to him. I think unfortunately where this scene gets dragged down a smidge is the something really really important. Because this has caused a lot of speculation, right? We talked about Juliet being pregnant in the incident, a decision that you and I are both not fans of. It's a big question that gets presented that never gets answered. So I don't love that part of the scene, but 
from an emotionality perspective, A plus. Um, I mean, I think that the the I have to tell you something. It's really important. Feels like you know what her final words are via Miles. It worked, and so like I think you know she is like drifting in and out of Flash sideways mode. Um, and that's my interpretation of it. Mm. One thing that I like, you know, like despite like the level of peace that I'm reaching with the Flash sideways, like I think it's gonna it's gonna take a very long time for me to like be like fully narratively at peace because like you don't really get this strongly alluded to anywhere else in the series you know yeah. of like you know and so like why why are we now suddenly but it, it feels like now we're getting people who are like sort of like seeing what lies beyond the um, shadow of the statue you know yeah it's so to speak you know like we're starting to like see that stuff uh in the final season because like they have decided this is what they're going to do uh less so that this was something they were always going to do so like one of the things i don't love because this feels like this is in service of like stringing out the what is it like the mystery sideways this is stuff that just does not play great uh on rewatch for me i Uh, i agree it's like it's a fun nod but again it's one of those things that the more you think about it the less it makes sense yeah. Right, of like, okay, this is Juliet waking up. Is she waking up in this moment where she goes Dutch with Sawyer? If so, why do you know other characters wake up? You know, we have Jack with his cut, but that's about it. Like, why is there not a lot of crossover between the two realms? Yeah, so I think that there's just like, it's like, it's it's a it's a choice that I think that they're making in service of like the in the moment stuff of like building up the hype and the mystery for what this place could possibly be and like giving us some hope that like, uh, maybe actually what they did did work and they're going to be able to bring Juliet back and bring other people back. But like, that's not what this is. And uh, I don't know. I, I do think that like, it just, it feels to me a little bit uh, like a one trick pony. Um, that piece of it, I'm just still, still not totally great with. Um, anyway, so she is uh, sadly gone. Rest in peace, Juliet. I'm really bummed about it. Still, mm-hmm. uh, like it just sucks. She's such a great character. She was so great to have uh, on Lost. I hate that we don't have her for the final season. Um, Blame it, V. It is what it is. Listen, V was not an awful show. Like it wasn't fantastic and probably not worth lo- uh, leaving Lost over. Um, but you got to look out for your career and you get the opportunity to be like the lead of your own show. Like give that a shot. And alas, it just didn't quite workout so yeah it is, and, then, and i really want to give props is. to elizabeth mitchell as well because apparently uh according to the commentary from darlton apparently they actually like screwed up the film the first time they filmed this goodbye scene and so elizabeth mitchell working on another show probably months away from lost had to come back from vancouver to film this scene a second time so like good on her for being able to get back into character for this like one appearance of Juliet in this timeline obviously she'll show up in a different capacity in the sideways but you know i thought i thought it was nice for her to make an appearance here yeah i i i feel that way as well um we go to the sideways charlie tells jack i was supposed to die you should have let it happen um some people just don't know how to say thanks uh is what cindy tells jack desmond is missing no one knows where he is <laughs> Seth Norris comes over the loudspeaker and lets us know that we're about to land. And so we get 
one of Lost's great montages, yes. uh, a hallmark of the series with the Giacchino score roaring in the background, just so beautiful. Uh, we see so much, right? Like Saeed with Nadia's picture. He's still pining for her in the afterlife. Um, Jin with the watch. He's still feeling a lot of shame, mm-hmm. you assume. Um, Frogert, look at you, finally awake. Uh, the plane touches down. The police come. They take Charlie. Uh, Locke and Boone shake hands as they part ways. You see Saeed like go across the aisle and there's like some dude who looks like a rocker from like the 1980s <laughs> in the background uh, who you also see later at baggage claim. Look out for him. He's just got like, Ooh, this I like huge... this. Did, did this guy accidentally travel through time alongside everybody and like died and is he now part incredible. of this universe? He looks incredible. He's got like this humongous like salt and pepper beard and hair and like this huge hat and sunglasses. It's just a great look. He's so specific. Um, and then the last two off the plane, Jack and Locke. Yep. Uh, you know, with the smile and nod at each other. Jack is the last one to see Locke. And it's almost like this this uh, feeling of like, don't worry, guy, I got you. Yeah, uh, like, which they're, they're going to have a moment to talk about it later on. But I also think it's really interesting that, you know, you see Locke's secret shame, as it were. Like, as with the confidence he showed towards Boone, this is very much season one Locke, where like, now we get to see the vulnerability where ne- everyone else has left and now they have to wait for the wheelchair to come in. It's not as embarrassing as him being carried like a baby onto 815 like he was back in Australia. But for him, I think it's still, you know, fairly blistering to ha- have someone see that happen to him. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we start part two of LAX and it's like the cold light of day. Uh, Miles is like uh, mocking Hurley's guitar. Are you going to sing Kumbaya for us? Hurley says, it's not a guitar. Well, we should make a note here. Where the hell did they get clothes? Um, Are they not wearing it underneath the jumpsuits? Hmm. It seems like they're wearing it beneath the jumpsuits. Okay, I guess that would make more sense. Because, yeah, we see, I think everyone except Miles maybe is in plain clothes. It was just an interesting change for me. Of like, what? wait, what? How did they find, find an outfit change in the middle of this? Yeah, it strikes me as uh, a uh, they they put the jumpsuits on over their t-shirts and jeans and stuff. That's got to be very hot. It's a lot to wear. It's definitely a lot of clothes, but I think that that is like the canonical answer uh, is that they are they are wearing it over their clothes. It's not how I would probably try and rock it but maybe no. there are functionality reasons why this is the way and i'm doing it wrong Ima- uh, imagine if they did it and like the final season has like matthew fox in his underwear the entire time uh some people would not complain um sawyer is gonna bury juliet kate wants to help sawyer doesn't want it but he does want miles's help um kate says she'll leave a trail so they can follow and sawyer says i'm not following nobody kate yeah, so, I mean, it turns now. out that he's going to get brought in there forcibly anyway. But yeah, this but is not, also- af- not until after he's already beaten up four others off screen, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, this is a big question uh, as to like what should be on screen and what should be off screen this episode. I should also mention that the guitar case is like a mini version of, in my opinion, the Michael as the spy stuff from season four a bit, right? Of like, what's in the guitar case? But like before they can say anything, they're always interrupted. Uh, and no, it's a small mystery, but it very much a vote to that to me of, oh, we're not going to say just yet. You'll finally find out at one point, but we're going to conveniently cut people off so we never find out. Yeah, I can see that. I think that that tracks. Uh, it does not bother me quite as much because it is uh, like more limited in time. Right, uh, exactly. Like, 
You know, like it's like they make a meal out of it in the in the scene in the in the in the taxi cab uh, in the season five finale. And then they make a little bit of a deal of it here. But then they answer it within the same episode. So I'm OK. Um, uh, the the Ankh versus Michael is a spy. Uh, I, I definitely say the Michael is a spy bothers me more. Um, so they go their separate ways. Uh, Sawyer and Miles off in one direction with Juliet. Uh, Jack and the gang with Saeed. And here we go. The temple. It begins. Um, yes, we go down. First, we got to go. We got to go down the hatch, right? So to we're, speak, we're we going. Go we're going beneath. into the tunnels. Uh, we find uh, Fear and Trembling by Kierkegaard alongside Montan without his freaking arm. Yes, uh, Montan. This is where Montan lost his arm. Did you clock the book? Uh, I meant to. I forgot to. Yeah. So it is. It is. Um, I believe it is Fear and Trembling by Kierkegaard. Uh, which apparently it, it's sort of like a, a, a retelling of the biblical stories like Abraham and the binding of Isaac. Basically, it's this idea of like re-examining faith and its relationship with morality and ethics. So it's, again, a look at this idea of biblical faith and how it imparts on us certain ideals, which I think given everything going on with uh, Jacob and his disciples makes a lot of sense. Yeah, interesting. Um, so they're down underneath the the cave. They bypass this hole in the ground. I I view this as this is where Ben fell in and dead is dead. Um, but maybe not if we do like the close side by side. I'm not entirely sure. You hear the whispers and the people go missing and Kate's missing and then Jack looks for her and then Hurley and Jen and Saeed, you hear them get like got and Jack, like we're with Jack the whole time. Um, like the whispers flood the tunnels like you hear it and then the others catch them. So as late as the final season premiere of Lost, <gasps> Mike, the show is linking the whispers to the others. So even though we're going to find out that the others, uh, that the whispers are the ones who can't move on, you have to still associate them with the others. Like they yeah. are, they are in cahoots. Yeah, it's they're the they're the warm up act to the main attraction of the others. This was uh, evocative to me of the season premiere, Man of Science, Man of Faith, right? Where there's a little bit of like a horror aspect to Kate going down, and then like the bright light and the scream uh, to have. You know, Hurley disappear and then Kate disappears was a little spoopy, but then they all get taken by the temple crew, which is far from spoopy. Yes. Uh, so the the whispers being some sort of like scouting party for the others. Do the others ease the burden on the ones that can't move on? Is there just some way in which they are linked? I feel like there is uh, there's, for me, there's just no other read. Uh, you know, you have to accept the show when the show tells you that the whispers are the ones who can't move on. So they're ghosts. Um, but you also have to accept what your eyes are telling you and your ears and your senses and all of those things. Put the whispers in the room with the others. They are in some version of concert with one another. Yeah, which would make sense given like if the others are sort of AOJs, you know, worship with Jacob. You imagine that Jacob as protector of the island is able to commune with some sort of spirits. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And certainly like we know that through Hurley, right? Like he can mm -hmm. talk to the dead. So like is there some way that this power is transferable or extendable? Um, is this something that all the others can do? Is it something that just a couple can do, but the whispers are still ever present and they can make themselves known um, in certain capacities? I think that these are uh, these are the questions that are in play uh, with no concrete answer ever. Eat that. Uh, all right, sideways. The marshal is going to tell Kate, hold it. 
don't be a Bernard. You can't go to the bathroom. Uh, and she's like, but I really got to go. Uh, so he's going to let her go to the ladies room. He's going to be in there with her. He says, you've got two minutes. Uh, should have been three. It should have been. And then she should have shot him. Uh, yeah. and then just really put a point on that. Not a ballpoint like the pen. I do find it interesting that the marshal calls Kate kiddo. Cause that doesn't, I don't think he did before. And that's very much out of the Christian shepherd playbook. Right. Right, 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 right. Uh, so yeah, she's going to knock him out after he's like creeping on her in the door, like hustle up. And it's interesting uh, because you know, she tries to unlock the handcuffs with the pen. It doesn't work. She ends up having to like walk with the jacket over her hands while she knocks out like absolutely bodies, Farkas's Edward Mars. And then when two women come in, he's like, Oh, this was a predator in the bathroom. Uh, I got to leave. Bye. Yes. Uh, so that's like how she's going to how she's going to roll. Uh, she just knock him out uh, head wound on the vanity. So no matter what, the marshal was not escaping uh, this time in his life without a head wound, uh, without some head trauma. Yeah, it was fated to be. Uh, she tells these two women to walk and he just attacked me. He walked in and attacked me. And then she leaves. Uh, she gets on the elevator with Sawyer, who we know in the afterlife is a police officer. And yet he just lets her go. Uh, I don't know if anyone's got like a great answer for that other than like rules are a little bit off the table here. It's the afterlife. <laughs> Chill out, Wiggler. Uh, I do love how Sawyer, uh, when he says oh, ladies first, and then she gets off and she goes, thank you. And I just love Josh Holloway, who contains multitudes because we cut from this to the the to the uh to the burial scene uh josh holloway with just like this shit eating grin on his face as he goes take care uh really 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 good yeah that's a a little bit of season one eking through in my opinion right the little bit of like flirtatious cad sawyer maybe that's one reason why he lets her go is because he's like ah she's probably off to something else i'm good at the moment instead i'm gonna sass all these poor tsa workers Yes. Uh, so that's really, really funny. Um, back on island time. Um, Miles is going to uh, ask Sawyer if he wants a drink. You want a drink, boss? There's some beers in the van. Stop calling me boss. Miles will stop calling him boss. <laughs> yeah, very, pepper- him- very, very peppermint patty and Marcy, in my opinion. He will call him Jim. He will call him James. I really love this scene. I think that this scene specifically with James and Miles does so much work in just like uh, not that we weren't already there, but I think uh, like really just like emphasizing the point that these two lived a life with each other. Right. Yeah, like that, that we uh, that, didn't like, see. Yeah. That like these guys are really, really close. There is like a closeness that is um, that is really clear in like the way they interact with each other in this scene that like Sawyer is willing to like be really vulnerable around miles that miles is not going to dunk on somebody that he's just going to be like a very cards up good friend who just like wants to like help this guy as best as he can. Even if it's just like drinking in silence is kind of what it feels like he's offering. He just wants to be a warm body around his friend. Um, I think it's a really beautiful expression of their friendship. Uh, I really, really, really like this scene a lot between these two guys. Um, but Sawyer has ulterior motives. He wants miles to do his miles thing. Uh, and begrudgingly, AKA after he like pushes him into the dirt mound, yeah. uh, he will do that. And then also, uh, and I think that also shows on Sawyer, right? The fact that I wouldn't say he's lost his mind, but I think he is absolutely in a different place emotionally that he does things like, you know, knock out Jack and force miles. Like you said, his partner for a good time and his partner in the afterlife onto the ground and forcing him to use his power for his betterment. Like it's not yeah. a great look on Sawyer, but it's understandable given that again, that exhaustion on his face. Yeah. He's really just like, 
yeah, wiped, uh, fully wiped. Um, what he gets from Juliet, what Miles gets is it worked. Uh, what worked? Uh, so again, this is sort of like, um, you know, this is the thing. This is the thing. This is the uh, what we were talking about before. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I if I fully love uh, all of this stuff. Um, Jack and the gang are going to get to the temple. I just want to put a quick pin in that because we will have a longer <gasps> temple scene to talk about in a moment. And the longer I can stall the temple, mm-hmm. uh, the better. Delaying the inevitable. Uh, so we'll briefly uh, touch on the sideways where Jack is paged to the nearest courtesy desk, uh, where he finds out that your cargo was never put on the plane. Uh, so they lost uh, Christian even in the afterlife. Even though the funeral's in two hours, they have no idea when it will arrive, and we are not sure where it is. So in in, uh, in the afterlife, uh, there are some ways in which this is still mirroring um the uh the 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 island time yeah and, uh, and, and i think there's also where this guy is there's also this idea right i think it's specifically the the oceanic guy says we don't know when it will arrive because we're not sure where it is i feel like that sort of mirrors jack jack experience in the flash sideways right the fact that he is the last person to wake up he's the last person to realize where he is the fact that that's being said to him i think is a little bit of bearing of the fact that right now he himself is a bit lost from a spiritual perspective yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I mean, is there a way to talk about the final season without having to go here? I don't know. I wish. I don't think so. But no. Okay, this is, in my opinion, the biggest black mark against season six. It's the temple. It's Dogen. It's Lennon. It's all the resplendent brown and black red vest you'll ever see in your life. We're talking about it. It's here. It's here, the temple. It's just, it's theme park shit. Like, it just looks really cheap. It looks really cheap. It's this, it's this place that's supposed to be so central to the show. Uh, and it, all of it, like, feels like, it feels very artificial. It feels like a set. Uh, like, the costuming is bad. Um, and I think, like, that stuff could be forgiven if, like, the content was better. And the content's just, like, inexplicable in many ways. Like, I think that there is this, feeling to the final season that like is front of mind because we watched across the sea first and in across the sea one of the first things we hear from the mother is like every question i answer will just lead to more questions mm-hmm. and so that seems to be like a, a philosophy that the show ultimately adopts uh and like i think in hindsight in retrospect in our evaluations and our like um continuing relationship with the show we can glom onto as well and use as a way to like feel better about the show or like uh, in like our, our process of like recommending the show to people that like some of the mysteries are just better without answers. And it's certainly something that becomes foundational. I think to Damon Lindelof as a storyteller moving forward from this show. Uh, and I think that he does better in other shows um, is like the idea of like, I'm never going to answer this because it doesn't matter and it's better to not be answered. Um, and so I think that there are like some like, let the mystery be elements to the final season mm-hmm. of the show. Um, I think the whole sideways is a great example of that. I think the sideways when you like really try to pull on the threads, uh, some of it can feel like it can. It's like a it's like a loose sweater. It's a very old sweater. You can like make the holes, um, <gasps> but like also the sweater brings you so much comfort and it just looks great and it rocks and it feels good. So you try not to pull the, the threads. Um, the temple is just like it was a shitty sweater to begin with, you know, like and it didn't have to be. And that's the thing. It's like you ordered it online. You saw it online. That's going to be great. It's going to look on me. Look great on me. And then it comes in. And you get it, and you see it, and immediately you're like, 
what? That's not what is this what I ordered? And it's like shit. That's what I ordered. Oh no! <laughs> it's the Wish dot com uh, version of Jacob. You know, it was this thing that you have a lot of baked in expectations for. I think to some extent, at least. And I think that like in the reevaluation of Lost, maybe like knowing what the temple actually is, like prevents us from like going really in. But there's certainly a couple of times throughout the show, starting in season three, where they're like, get to the temple. The others are at the temple and all of this stuff talking about the temple. Um, and I feel like you and I, have like not talked about it. Like I yeah. feel like yep. of all the things and all the hours we have put into Down the Hatch and talked about on Down the Hatch, we've like had like almost no temple conversations. And I think that that is not without reason. And I think it's mm-hmm. because like this thing that like you were excited about as a prospect is like one of those like I can't wait until they finally answer the temple things during like the live watching of the show or the week to week airing of the show. This is just one of those things that like it's just it's it's just bad. It's not good. They do nope. a poor job with it. They fail. It's it's like the Nikki and Paolo of plot devices. It's like the Nikki and Paolo of locations. The way that they even do away with the temple after six episodes, I think, is what it ultimately is. Um, because like in the same way with like Nikki and Paolo, they did expose before we got to watch any of that. They knew it wasn't working, so they buried them alive. The temple, oh God, it's not working. We need to raise it to the ground. Like it feels like it's that kind of thing. I have to imagine that they know that this did not play uh super super well in hindsight maybe they don't i don't know but there's a lot of this like well we're gonna flip over an hourglass and once it runs out that's gonna tell us when to take the guy out of the water and it's like it's really unpleasant there's like oh we're gonna strap saeed to a torture device next episode and do lots of hot poker bernie bernie touchy things and it's gonna look terrible and it's gonna be very stupid and here's a medicine that you gotta give to him and i'm not gonna tell you why but it has to come from you, except it's just poison. We probably could have force fed it to him and killed him that way. Like, there's just like all of this stuff that does not have sensible explanation that I wouldn't care if it didn't have sensible explanation if it was cool. It's severely uncool. It's just not cool. It's it's just not done well, in it's my very opinion. Cheesy. It's, it's very it's, cheesy. I mean, I think it's very reminiscent to me of the way we were describing some of those latter season five characters as well. Right? Like, for some reason, between Alana and Caesar and Bram and this, for some reason, Lost just lost the formula for creating really interesting new characters after season four. Maybe it's because they already had a game plan in mind and they're like, we don't want to add on to this ever-growing ensemble. Let's just focus on, you know, what we currently have and maybe shave a couple off of that. But like, I don't care about Dogen. I don't care about Lennon. I think the decision to introduce these characters so early on and make us believe that like these people are incredibly important and we need to listen to everything they say is a bad call. Uh, Just because I don't know if it's like bring back a former person. Like, I guess we get that in the form of Cindy, but it just feels like much like with these other characters, they, they want us to get to know these people. They want us to care about them, but I don't because the material behind it is so paltry. That being said, of all that, this is probably one of the least egregious Temple episodes of them all. There is some weird, stupid shit, like you said, flipping over the uh, the hourglass and the brown, murky poop water and everything like that. But 
we're going to get a lot worse with the temple. So I think we need to like live in this moment and really celebrate the fact that the introduction of the temple is probably one of the least bad things to happen to it. That's so, that's nothing worth celebrating. <laughs> you know, uh, this being like one of the less egregious instances of the temple really, really sucks. And we will have to like live with a lot of this stuff for the next several weeks. Uh, the next couple of episodes at the very least uh, is like temple shenanigans. We have uh, we'll have next week's episode. Um, I don't know offhand how much time we spend there with the substitute. I think a limited amount of time, if any, um, we are going to uh, we're going to have to go back there for lighthouse and certainly for sundown, which is where I think they do the temple the best because they destroy it. <laughs> exactly like they did the best thing in killing it i mean i i, I say th- i say this harshly and all of this stuff harshly mike to like contrast with like what my general vibe is on lost i don't feel like i have to defend myself as a lost fan my credentials are what they are right. i love this show you and i spend like almost three hours every week talking about the show we would not do it if we didn't really 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 by and large love the show i don't like the temple it gets worse every time i go back to it yeah, this it's a big misstep. And I think when a lot of people think of the final season, what they remember and they blanket over the course of the entire season is the ending, if you dislike it, and the temple stuff. Like right. they, they sort of erase the other stuff and say, oh, yeah, that's what the sixth season was about, right? The temple. But like you said, we don't spend all the time here. Now, I say this is one of the least egregious episodes for the temple but we do get the stupid onk and the stupid guitar case that just gets broken over Dogen's knee and has a note inside of it. That's all it was. That's all it was. It was a giant piece of balsa wood that contains a piece of paper that said, nah, these guys cool. Yeah. And Dogen was just going to eviscerate them with machine gun fire first. Uh, you know, Cindy's like, oh yeah, these guys were on Oceanic 815. They were on the original plane. Uh, and you would think that Dogen and Lennon, who, by the way, it seems like all of the Temple others know about the threat of the monster and what happens to Jacob when he's gone, and yet Richard Alpert still didn't know. <laughs> so I think that is a huge demerit against Richard Alpert. Uh, the, the fact that he is so late to the party and these guys know. But anyway, these guys know that stuff. Presumably because like Dogen is going to know about like, don't let the man in black talk to you first. Like he probably knows something of like the candidate stuff. Right. And like, he doesn't know that any of these people are persons of interest. He's just, he's just going to have them killed on site. Like huge demerit against Dogen. Lenin sucks as well. He's just useless. Like literally like Dogen doesn't even need a translator and Lenin's there. So like that's the whole point of the character exists because Dogen doesn't want to talk to these people. It's an absolute waste of space of a character. And John Hawks, who plays Lennon, is a terrific actor. He's great in so many things. Perfect Storm, um, really great role on Deadwood. Like, he's just a fantastic actor and is totally wasted here. Um, And miscast, I think, as well. I feel like Put that guy on the Widmore crew and you probably have like uh, like, uh, like a little bit of a sense of danger from the Widmore crew. Put Hiroyuki Sonata on the on the Widmore crew and you've got like real actors doing real actor things working with Charles Widmore. That would be important. That would be great. Um, I don't know what the fix is with the temple. Uh, I really don't. I don't have a good alternative, but it's not this. Anyway, he's going to shred them all with machine guns until Hurley's like, wait, I've got an onk. Open it up. They open it up. It's got their names in it. 
Uh, and uh, Hurley does have that great line of like, I carried that across the ocean and through time. What does it say? Len says, if it says if your friend dies, we're all in a lot of trouble. No, like it par- doesn't. Like God damn it. You know, the, you, you could tell these people are disciples of Jacob because nobody provides a GD answer to anybody. <laughs> you ask a question, they're like, oh, well, actually, I'm going to use a vagary to respond and provide the stakes of it. Also, you know who could have come in and said they're cool? Jacob. Jacob could have just appeared in front of Hurley to be like, or, or you know, do something rattling in the corner to be like, hey, it's Jacob, BT dubs, these guys are all right, you can let him pass. But yeah, Dogen also a little trigger happy in this moment, despite Hurley saying that Jacob sent them. He's like, nope, try, time to light them up. Let's just blaze yeah. them down with bullets. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, so anyway, so that's what's going on over there in the sideways. We just basically get a scene that shows us that Jin and Sun are a little bit different now. Jin's got the money that seems to be like, why are we trying to run away? And Sun does not speak English. Yeah, that, that's the read, right? Because initially you would think, oh, she's purposely not speaking English because she doesn't want to help Jin. But I don't believe that's the case, right? Yeah, I don't think so. All right, so that's good. So at least she's not vindictive in this world. Yes. Um, so we go back to the temple, and this is going to be uh, the temporary death of Saeed. And I think like we could, if we really want to, try to do some theorizing on how it is that Saeed dies and then comes back to life. I don't know. I'm tired. It, well, I mean, the, so the water does get diluted. Did it just like delay the effects of bringing him back to life, maybe that it was there's there's a, that a little there latent. Could be a, there could be the dilution of the water. There could be uh, what did the electromagnetic energy from the incident that blasted everybody back into the future? What did that do? We know that the island has healing energy. It restores Jin's sperm count. It <laughs> makes it so that John Locke can walk again. Um, you know, it it has healed people. And then there's some things that you just don't come back from. But does the combination, like, you know, like Juliet survives probably longer than she should. Mm-hmm. Is that because of like island energy blast stuff? Is Saeed surviving longer than he should because of island energy blast stuff? Does that in concert with the water if it is losing its power but has not lost its power, is that going to work to fuel him and bring him back in some sort of time-delayed way due to the time travel? Sure, fine, great. Sure. Okay. Cool. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is it that everybody has a superpower? I said this during the mm-hmm. live watch, Mike, that um, the Lost Island uh, is is not unlike... Uh, <laughs> Like the, not the unlike, X-Men chromosome? Uh, uh, no, that the Lost Island is in some ways not unlike uh, the uh, the Wario Casino in the oh, Poster oh, Recaps okay. patron discord. That the island is like the Wario Casino in that some people don't have buddies, but the ones who do have buddies have hyper-specific superpowers that are completely situational and often make no sense. So for instance, Hurley can talk to ghosts. Miles can hear ghosts. Desmond can see the future sometimes. Uh, John Locke can walk again. He shouldn't be able to and can also predict weather patterns. Uh, Jin, Jin uh, has super sperm. sperm has a super sperm count. Um, Jack may have the power to bring people back to life via chest compression. Uh, Ooh, he did this, he with did Charlie. this to Charlie, and now does he do this to Saeed? Does Jack bring Saeed back to he, life? He also does it he, to Rose, too. Does he have super CPR? 
Is that I what you, love is that, what that idea. Oh. Can we just can we just canonize that, and so we never have to talk about it? Yep. Again? All right. Gavel bang. Official judgment on the ruling of Down the Hatch. Jack Shepard has been imbued with the powers of the island to give him the magic touch that whenever he gives CPR to somebody, no matter how dead they are, they will automatically come back to life. Are there violations to this rule that, yes, there are. There's the one, uh, there's, uh, Paula Malcolmson's character, Danny's wife, Danny Pickett's wife back in season three. He wasn't able to resuscitate her. Um, but maybe his powers are weaker on Hydra Island. Yeah, he's he was away closer to the Maybe source. the closer he is to the part of the island, the better he's able to help with the CPR. I'm, I'm here for super CPR. Super CPR helps me with this. Wait, but you know, but you know what happens? Night. We need to, it needs to be super. C-U-P-E-R and the C-P-E-R all need to be capitalized. Yeah, yeah. So he's got super CPR. Let's just canonize that. Yeah. My life is fine. Um, (gasps) I hate, I hate the, I hate the hourglass. I hate that they're holding, like, I hate like, like the, like, uh, like the, the religious symbolism of like Saeed being carried out like Jesus. Like the whole thing is just like. It's so OTT. And also there's this weird ubiquitousness of like when he's drowning, like, oh, I guess he was alive, even though it seemed like early in the episode he really had a deathbed moment right when he tells her like you know where am i going it's see i would assume he was dead then but i guess he's not so now why is he thrashing and why are they still holding him over under despite the fact that he is alive yeah it's just it's like a flangadoos uh not great is what yeah. that translates but, but like to. you said, uh, a little bit of a comparison between all the best daddies and this episode, right? Where Jack uses his super, uh, C-U-P-E-R, attempts to revive him. You have Kate right there, as usual, being like, don't do it. She's obviously, I think, less emotional than when she did it with Charlie. We even get, though, that similar wide shot, right, to the three of them, yeah. like, in the temple, like we did with them. But there's no, uh, there's no reprieve, right? At least in this moment. This is going to be a little bit more latent. Uh, so the super CPR will work. It's just time delayed because of the time travel, I think, is probably what's going on there. Uh, as for, like, why we're all in big trouble if we don't bring back Saeed and, like, should we just have Saeed die here? Uh, is that better for the show? I would argue in some ways, yes. Uh, mm. Like, losing both Juliet and Saeed here in the premiere would, like, give us huge stakes for the final season of, like, anything can happen. Anyone can go, holy shit, they killed Saeed. Um uh, but also, I think, like, clearly that's not the direction that they go. And why is it so important that Saeed survives if he's just going to blow up, you know, like 12 or whatever episodes from now, like 15 episodes from now? Um, I think you can make the argument that, like, Jacob in, like, you know, putting his pieces on the board against the man in black and giving everybody the best fighting chance they can possibly have knows the story of Saeed and knows this guy to be the, the like the king of like, of like practical shit hits the fan. Here's how we get out of it. Um, and that you need that guy on your side. It will be a big problem. If you don't have him on your side, maybe not the end of everything, but it's going to be a lot harder without Saeed on the board. We also know that from our lived in experiences with Saeed. Um, and I think that having Saeed, be alive for as long as he's alive is clearly going to be like if Saeed is not alive in the submarine um, during the candidate, um, everybody dies. Yeah, for sure. Like, except, for, nobody, except for Frank no, Lapidus. No, no, everybody, everybody dies because uh, that submarine blows up and they all they all just are are goo on the side of the the Galaga. Uh, like nobody, goo goo Galaga. Nobody's, <laughs> oh, my favorite. N- 
nobody has uh, nobody has the wherewithal in that short period of time to grab the bomb and run. Only Saeed's got that because Saeed's superpower is uh, insane situational awareness. Um, so, like, what is the utility of Saeed living here just so he can die later? It is literally because, like, all of these Schmohawks would be so flustered that none of them would know what to do. Uh, once again, Saeed's got to be the adult in the room and he's going to have to do the thing. But I think the question we are going to come to is, is it worth it? Correct. L- let me Fair. work it. Uh, we we shall see. Because yeah, it's, yep. it's Dark Saeed is another mark I think against season six. Is while the character serves that purpose, I think the question is: is the journey to get to that point worth it? And I'm not a huge fan of it. I guess we shall see. I haven't re- relitigated it in a while, but yeah, right now yeah. Saeed is a uh, he's resting up before his big come to lo- back to life moment. So we'll find out. We'll see where it goes. Uh, in the sideways, we see Saeed at baggage claim. Uh, we go through like Kate's great escape. I think it's around here that you could see that guy I talked about earlier with the giant poofy gray beard and hair. Um, but she gets, uh, she goes to try and uh, hijack a cab or at least get into a cab first. But she runs into some interference. Let's listen in sound number four. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think so, lady. It's a line. There's a line. There's a line, Mike. Absolutely. And you know what that means. Everybody with me. Between selfie. Hey, y'all, who you came with? Who you leaving with? This my line. Everybody with me. Hey, y'all, who you came with? Who you leaving with? Everybody with me. Between selfie. Hey, y'all, who you came with? Who you leaving with? I'm leaving with Claire and the cab. Oh, my God. And with this guy who I'm stealing with the cab and with my gun and all of your friends. uh, It's just been way too long since we've listened to DJ Dom. I know. It it was right there. In this universe, is Hurley DJ Dom? Like, did he write (laughs) the song? Correct. Uh, Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. So that's uh, that's, uh, Frogert's line. Uh, and he's at the front of it. Uh, I don't know if he came with this line or if he came with no bags mm. so that he could get to the front of the taxi line. Uh, and he worked really hard to go uh, travel so lightly on an international flight that he only brought carry-on that he didn't have to worry about checked bags. So he's like very protective of his line that he uh, he had that like line in the sand of how he's going to travel. And now he is at the head of the taxi cab line. He's not going to let somebody just cut his line. He's super well rested too, right? He slept that entire flight. The whole he's like, flight. I know as soon as I hit the plane, wheels down, like I'm heading straight to the taxi line. Gotta, gotta open this new frozen yogurt stand going on in LA. I gotta be there to cut the ribbon. Screw anybody who tries to cut the line. Yeah, so he's out on anyone who's trying to be a line cutter. Uh, shout out to DJ Dom. Welcome to season six. Just great to have you along for the ride. It's been a minute. Um, Kate's going to be, uh, uh, she's going to hijack a car. We could just yada yada that. She's <laughs> yeah, gonna they, I mean, uh, we, we do see, speaking of DJ Dom, Hurley is in the line. We overhear him talking about, like, uh, I guess market-wise, he's not able to use the word outback because it's copyrighted uh, for Mr. Yeah. Klux. So he's dealing with that sort of business, Mishigosh. But yeah, she hijacks a cab and up. Oh, Welcome back, Emily DeRaven, but we're not seeing you in squirrel baby mode yet. Now you're just pregnant mode. Nice to see Claire. Uh, We will have a lot more to talk about with Claire uh, as soon as next week. Um, On Island Time, back at the temple, there's Cindy, Zach, and Emma. Look how they've grown. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're their Uh, own little flight attendants with, you know, sandwiches for everybody. 
Yeah. Uh, so they've got sandwiches. They've got, they're like little baby Ben's themselves, you know, giving sandwiches to everybody. <laughs> so he just wakes up and shoots them both. Yeah, he does. He's like, I smell sandwiches. <laughs> and children. <laughs> back. Yeah. Children and sandwiches, a toxic combination for Saeed Um Sawyer and Miles get brought in. Apparently Sawyer beat up four others uh, before they knocked him out with a uh, rock. I really wanted to see that. Why no, we- this is another, no, I think that this is better in our imaginations for sure. I don't uh, know. I, I kind of wish we saw this other than the uh, like i would rather see this than Smokey taking out the aojs by comparison yeah but the 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 fight coordination is not going to be as good as what you imagine like super like uh like barbarian rage sawyer yeah. is going to do here no i want to see like born identity sawyer yeah uh well that was uh that's the first 10 minutes or so of mission impossible ghost protocol you can go check that out oh true 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 um, so Hurley gets summoned to talk to Dogen and Lennon, and they're like, well, what did Jacob tell you? And I love, Hurley is the, uh, is the audience surrogate, right? Yep, Just yep. generally. Um, and so what I love is Hurley, like, being, like, annoyed with these guys. Yes. Uh, like, do, like, he, like, clearly figures out that Lennon isn't even translating for Dogen. And to Dogen's credit, the line, I don't like the way English tastes on my tongue, I think is pretty cool. Um, but, like, that's all I will give him right now. Um, and then, of course, also that Hiro Sonata is just an excellent fighter, so he's going to have a really cool fight scene with Saeed, at least on his part, um, in a little while. Or maybe it's not cool. I don't know. I think that there may be a lot of quick cuts. I don't know. We'll get there. We'll figure it out. Either way, Hurley tells him that Jacob's dead, and he goes, like, what? You guys didn't know? And he looks uh, like, you idiots. I love uh, it. I love this, like, complete jockeying a position, right? Because uh, Hurley walks in, and they're all like, Oh, you must like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Hurley's yes. like, okay, I'm calling you out on this. I'm calling you out on this. Yes. I'm calling you out on this. I'm the one with the power here. Yes, I love Hurley very much, and this is uh, in no small part why of him just being like, I'm tired of this shit. You guys are idiots, and like he just like <laughs> treats them as such, and it's fantastic. Uh, Hurley really like uh, uh, has like uh, there's no love lost between Hurley and the Temple others uh, during his time here, which is really fantastic. Yeah, because I think because I think he is coming to his own, right? Like he is not really gawking anymore, like he was back in the day. He's confident in who he is. I think he's also become incredibly comfortable with his own lot in life, given the the fear with which he ran away from being able to talk to dead people. Now it's just something he's totally comfortable with. So I think this is like new confident Hurley who is sort of done with the weird shit, right? Like he's like, yeah, sure. Polar bears, whatever. I'm good with it. I'm done freaking out about this stuff. And so it's made him such a more reasonable character in terms of being able to calm him down. He's no longer, you know, flinching at b-o-d-y-s's now he's the one that's just like glancing at them and saying all right moving on yeah good for hurley um they set off the fireworks they ring the bells they start barricading the temple hurley says i guess we're not leaving and lennon says this isn't to keep you in it's to keep him out so the temple others know the stakes the temple others know that with jacob dead that not only is the smoke monster a huge threat, but the smoke monster, as uh, as John Loki will say to Ben, is not a what, it's but a, a who. who. And who? yet Richard Alpert didn't know any of this. Uh, Richard Alpert is is uh, lightly trash. Is my developing hot take? Yeah, I guess the uh, I guess the question is like, what relationship does Richard have with the Temple others? He's supposed to be Jacob's consigliere. He's supposed to know. Yeah. He's I supposed guess to know everything. The, the only explanation I could think of is that Jacob purposely, you know, like two different friend groups, doesn't have Richard interact that much with the temple people. But why does he whatever. tell Richard all the stuff that he's telling? I don't know. Whatever. Because it's, anyway. it's Jacob. He loves omitting I guess, information. 
I guess, I guess. Uh, but I have a hard time not pinning some of that blame on on Richard Albert. Anyway, let's go back to the Four Toed statue. Let's check in with Monster Man himself and with Benjamin Linus in what I think is uh, is not just one of the best scenes of the episode, but one of the best scenes of the final season, and one of my favorite Terry O'Queen, uh, Terry O'Quinn scenes overall. Yes, Terry O'Yas Queen. Yes, Yas O'Queen. Uh, let's listen in sound number five. You used me. You couldn't kill him yourself. So you made me do it. I didn't make you do anything. You should know. He was very confused when you killed him. I seriously doubt that Jacob was ever confused. I'm not talking about Jacob. I'm talking about John Locke. Do you want to know what he was thinking while you choked the life out of him, Benjamin? What the last thought that ran through his head was? I don't understand. Isn't that just the saddest thing you ever heard? But it's fitting in a way. Because when John first came to the island, he was a very sad man. A victim shouting at the world for being told what he couldn't do, even though they were right. He was weak and pathetic and irreparably broken. But despite all that, there was something admirable about him. He was the only one of them who didn't want to leave. The only one who realized how pitiful the life he left behind actually was. What do you want? Well, that's the great irony here, Ben, because I want the one thing that John Locke didn't. I want to go home. Is it safe to say, Josh, that this is the height of Terry O'Quinn as John Loki for season six? Mm, um, it's it's hard to think of the scene that is better than this one. I agree. I think this is still carrying in that big season five energy. Maybe it's just because yeah. he hasn't really like I mean done anything gonna, yet with- when he. He's going to kick Richard's ass, and that's going to be really exciting as well. Uh, like, this episode, this version of John Loki is still, like, with big season five energy and feels like sort of like the epilogue to that stuff. Yes. Um, and not that he isn't going to be great in many ways throughout the final season, but we will be able to, like, see some of the chinks in the armor in terms of, like, the writing behind him. But Terry O'Quinn's performance is, is still going to be great across the way. Um, but it is, I think, like... Because this is him, like, dressing down his character. And, like, we've heard the stories about the ways in which sometimes Terry O'Quinn was frustrated with John Locke, mm-hmm. uh, with, like, the season two stuff specifically. Um, so, like, there's there's a lot of, like, metatextual stuff going on in the way that Terry O'Quinn is addressing his own character right now that is, like, really, really uh, both, like, it's unpleasant to watch, like, seeing this imposter with, with one of my favorite characters' face on him uh, be 
being so mean to that character, especially beyond the grave. Uh, and yet it's delicious. It's like it is like it is just like narratively so tasty. Well, because this is the first time where John Loki now gets to sort of shed the guys. Right, he's taking the form of John Locke. He's like, "Oh, thank no, God!" He, sh- he he shredded the guys a couple scenes ago. That's when true, they were, uh, and he staked yeah. the guys as well. But he's able yeah. to now be like, "Oh, thank God, I don't have to pretend to be John Locke anymore." You know, because I oh God, this guy sucked so much. But I love it's such a complicated scene because I also love the admiration and pity John Loki has for Locke in this moment. Right where he's like, unlike everyone else here. He didn't believe that he was living a, li- a greater life. He w- he knew how much his lot in life sucked. And he still was weak and pathetic and irreparably broken, but at least he knew that. And even from a cinematography perspective, this scene knocks it out of the park. I love just the choice to have, when John Loki's talking about Locke, he's leaning forward and there's a beam of light coming down from the sky, shining down on him. And then as soon as he finishes talking about Locke, he sits back He's back in the darkness. He's fully John Loki again. It's a great symbol about the duality of personification and the true difference we're getting now in a very similar body. Yeah, it's really, really cool. The The lighting of this scene is exceptional. Um, Terry O'Quinn, like, sitting back in the chair, being obscured by shadows, and, the, the like, the timing of, like, when he, when he comes in with, like, uh, you know... Um, uh, that he was a very sad man, and like then he's like exposed by the light, his face, uh, just the look on his face, like the absolute uh, like death scowl that he sports in um, in that uh, that final moment of I want to go home. It's just tremendous, and I don't want to uh, not remark upon Michael Emerson, who's excellent in the scene. I, as I well. loved his delivery of "You used me." Emphasis on the "you." Yeah, there is this like. There is this feeling from Ben of both being terrified of the man that he is in front of, of being terrified by the lack of information that he himself possesses Mm. and like needing to walk on eggshells lest he become, uh, you know, murdered the way he just witnessed all of these people get killed. Um, And so like and, and, and in that also like the creeping regret of. I think I may have just done something really, really stupid. Forget, like, immoral. I think I may have done something very, very bad for all of us. Um, and so, like, this guy who's so used to power, uh, who did something um, so foolish and, like, so selfish uh, and so horrible in murdering an unarmed man um, at the whim of a guy who he himself had already murdered, or, or so he thought, um, I think... This is the beginning of the story for Ben, which I think is another one that you could say, like, how how well do they do this one of like the guy who's like, I have messed up and I've got a lot of work to do to like uh, fix that. And I may never be able to fix it. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a really interesting trajectory for Ben as well, right? Because it's this idea of like Ben starts at the bottom of the mountain and now his entire season is going to be attempting to climb up this slippery slope back to the position that he was in but like you said it's tough because he's looking in the face of the very creature that just quote-unquote judged him and spared his life only a couple of days ago a lot of confused emotions going on here so it's a we're minimal on the ben stuff in this episode but i think it's a good marker as to where this once all-powerful character was and what his attempt of a journey is going to be over the course of the season 
we have a little bit of stuff to talk about here before we get to the next sound, but I want to yada yada through it because I think the next sound plays really well in contrast to what we just heard. So Hurley's going to say goodbye to Saeed. If you ever want to talk, I'm around. Miles is disturbed because he clearly isn't hearing Saeed. Right. So that's exactly. like the tell that Saeed's not dead. Yeah, uh, that's 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 my read as well. Is like it's not that he's hearing, you know, Saeed's zombie thoughts. It's more so that, oh, he's dead, but I'm not hearing his his final thoughts. Something's up. Yeah, and also, if we're accepting that the uh, the Temple Others really, really suck, then perhaps uh, we should accept that uh, they got it wrong and Saeed just never died at all, and they're just idiots, and they didn't, like, properly check the pulse. And then, like, our characters are so shell-shocked by everything they've been through that they're too tired to, like, really do their due diligence on Saeed. I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so that's going on. I don't Kate, know. Uh, I don't know. Kate cleans Sawyer's forehead. We're at the temple. They're helping us. Yeah, very, uh, very evocative of season two, right? Like yeah. the nursing Sawyer back to life. And he even makes a reference to season three saying we get caught by the others again. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's not uh, let's not kill Jack, please. He's like, I'm not going to kill Jack. He deserves to suffer on this rock like the rest of us. What a mood, by the way. Uh, yeah. I feel that for though sure. I, though I also <laughs> wonder as well if part of his anger towards jack is a little dulled by the death of juliet like he does get a little bit of closure here that i could imagine cooler heads have prevailed and he's like all right i don't want to do this anymore like yes it was jack's fault but i also had my opportunity i'm absolutely devastated it happened but like i am no longer so trigger happy to go after this guy um, so that's the yada yadaing stuff. Let's go to the sideways for the final time in the episode. And I think that this is just a great contrast to the uh, John Loki and Benjamin Linus scene. It's Jack Shepard and John Locke in the flash sideways showing us that John Locke may be dead, but he is in many respects alive and well. Let's listen in sound six. What did you lose? Excuse me. Well, they lost one of my bags. What about you? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. <laughs> Try me. And they lost my father. I'm sorry? He died in Australia a couple of days ago, and um, I flew down to get him. My condolences. Nope. Coffin was supposed to go on the plane in Sydney, but it didn't. Apparently, he's somewhere in transit, which is their way of saying they have no idea where the hell he is. Well, how could they know? They're the ones that checked him in. I mean, they've got to have some kind of tracking system. No, I'm not talking about the coffin. I mean, how could they know where he is? They didn't lose your father. They just lost his body. Your story beats a hell out of mine. All that was in my suitcase was a bunch of knives. Thanks. Some kind of salesman? Yeah, something like that. Well, it was nice talking to you. Uh, hope you find that coffin. Hope you find your knives. Yeah, thanks. You mind if I ask what happened to you? I'm sorry. I'm only asking because I'm a spinal surgeon. I, I didn't mean to... Oh, no, don't worry about it. Uh... Uh, surgery isn't going to do anything to help me. Uh, my condition is irreversible. Nothing's irreversible. 
you ever want a consult, just uh, give me a call. It's on the house. Well, thanks. Jack Shepard. I'm John. John Locke. It's nice to meet you, John. Nice to meet you, too. It's so genius. It's it's excellent. It's really yeah. great. Uh, they lost his body. They didn't lo- lose your dad. Uh, like we lost John Locke's body, but we did not lose John Locke. I love. I totally felt that too. I think it also speaks to side Locke as well, right? That like his dad, essentially his body is there, but he is not. Uh, sure. I, th- I think is also something that's almost like the opposite of what he suggests to Jack. I mean, this also feels like. A lighter Locke. I know that's not saying much because as the man in black just spoke about, John Locke led a very tough life in our timeline. But I mean, you you look up everything again. Helen's still alive in this one. His dad doesn't push him out a window to paralyze him like he was flying a plane and it crashed. That's how he got paralyzed. So he just has a, a more, I don't know, sure look at himself and the world here. Like the way he gives Jack advice. I don't think our John Locke would necessarily do that. And so I really do like Sidelock. I like bringing him back here because I think it also reassures fans of like, okay, we'll admit to you, the guy you thought was Locke wasn't really Locke, but don't worry, you're going to get John Locke here as well. He's still back in some sort of way, shape, or form. He's not completely gone. And I'm very happy to be reminded of it. And it, it also really, I think, after being separated for so long in season five, with the exception of like one scene together, to have Jack and Locke, two foundational characters of the series, coming back together in this way in the premiere, I think is sensational. It's really sensational. Uh, and I think, like, uh, like you, they lost his body. They didn't lose your dad. Like, we lost John Locke's body. We didn't lose John Locke. And I think that so much of the final season in the week to week was spent, like, hoping against hope that somehow, like, the universes would collide and we'd be able to, like, combine some of this stuff. Uh, we'd be able to, like, get some of these characters, like, back. Can we get Locke back into Locke's body? I think was something that a lot of people really wanted to see. Um, and that's not what we get. Um, but Locke very clearly fundamentally lives on in the actions of the people who are left behind, specifically Jack, and that like Jack is going to carry the ball uh, for the both of them yeah. in the end, um, literally in the end. Uh, and so I think having that sort of um, grace note now uh, is is really good. And again, just like such an example of uh, the the just the expert range of Terry O'Quinn uh, that he was playing this, uh, you know, malevolent, menacing force of nature just a couple scenes ago. And here he is as John Locke um, in like when like when John was like at his best, you know, like when he was like the mystic man who always had something to say to like change your outlook or to like, you know, like turn your head a little bit so you're looking in in a direction that you hadn't considered before. Um, it's just so good. And then I think, again, not to be underdone, echoing uh, where we were with like going from Terry O'Quinn to Michael Emerson last time, like Matthew Fox, there is, there is something about Jack in this scene that is different. This is a Jack that is like after what he does, what he does in his life that I feel like you can, you can feel that, that this is a guy who they both seem lighter, but not weightless. They both yes. are burdened by stuff, but they are like, they're carrying the burden differently right Um, like jack's you know 
my condition is irreversible. Nothing's irreversible. Like you said, that's very that much a, not Jack. Yeah, like, it's that's a very much that's a man of faith line, and the and Locke takes on the man of science, saying my condition is irreversible. Like that shows a little bit of of a different Jack, and maybe that's also you know the David aspect might have have given him a different perspective on everything. I also find it interesting that. These two guys, Jack lost the coffin, Locke lost his knives. Is there this idea of if there are like totem objects that they created that represent who they are, that they're missing it represents that missing piece, you know, that Locke is that needs to find those knives in a way to wake up to who he is and Jack needs to find his dad. Maybe that's a thing as well. It doesn't happen for anybody else. Like nobody else has lost luggage uh, on 815. But I just find it interesting that I think those are two very evocative images for each of them. And the fact that they both lost them as well. Uh, I It's coincidental. I don't know if it's fateful. I do not want to mistake coincidence for fate, but I do find it interesting. Uh, I find it very interesting as well. Uh, I think, you know, the thing that's going to wake lock up in the end is being reconnected to like his uh his ability to wiggle his, his, little, toes, his little toesies you know and and feel himself as he felt himself on the island via jack uh not you know for nothing um and i think like jack is going to need to find his dad and like that's the thing that's gonna that's gonna heal him but these two things that happen uh, are very much related to each other and like it's not uh coincidental that Jack's actions wake John Locke up and that when Jack himself is awake that John Locke is the first person aside from Jack's father to greet him uh, mm. so I don't know I love that we're on this journey I, I, I know this is, this, this is the stuff that like when you think about this as like epilogue components right that this is sort of like that ethereal coda to life that we don't know is out there but I think many of us hope is like <laughs> like what do we become what happens you know like do do we get to like close the book on some of this stuff um you know like for for me like i am such a cynic and i am very skeptical of a lot of this type of stuff as a person in my day-to-day but like when i revisit like this specific story and i get to see the way that these characters in their afterlife like are still struggling but eventually figure it out i do find it to be um uplifting in in many ways and aspirational in a lot of ways very very relatable Uh, it's that struggle to ultimately find a final location and look we may be in the climb right now but to know there is a mountaintop in sight is very uplifting yeah um all right let's do uh this isn't like the best sound but i did still want to play it just because it's great uh we'll like we'll just like close the book on terry o'quinn in this episode we had him in monster mode get a great john Locke scene and then uh <laughs> one more time in monster mode as richard sees the fireworks and shit goes down the hell is that It's good to see you out of those chains. You? Me.
I am very disappointed in all of you. disappointed dad john loki it's so funny uh i like to imagine he's disappointed in all of them for not figuring it out faster yeah. come it's on like, you idiots should have known you know you st- you don't even need the fireworks you know exactly what happened like come on are you kidding me you dummies uh, yeah so now we see richard alpert finally puts two and two together and he is the most afraid we have ever seen this character yeah, because he was so behind the ball, uh, and he totally missed this. And he should be afraid. Uh, like he should, he should feel like uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit shaken here, uh, shaken and stirred. Uh, like I just like, come on, man, how did you not know? Yeah, and as you know, John Loki rubs it in too by being like, "Okay, Richard, you know who I am now," and he makes reference to it's good seeing you out of those chains. Uh, I remember that was a big thing at the time, being like, "Oh my god, what is, what is this?" Richard Alpert was in chains, and I forget if if Abiturno had been announced at that point that we were doing a Richard Alpert flashback episode, but it certainly helped stoke those waters as to the story we would get out of him eventually. I love him getting punched in the throat. It's so iconic. <gasps> and then, like, a couple of episodes later in The Substitute, John Loki will even be like, I'm really sorry for punching you in the throat. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's so iconic that it's, uh, that it's, it's checked again. Um, also when, uh, Terry O'Quinn picks up Nestor Carbonell, except it's clearly not Nestor Carbonell yeah. and it's a dummy and it's so obvious and it's hilarious. Uh, <gasps> really, really, really great. Uh, just fantastic. And then also, I love the exchange of you. Me. me and then just farkuses him it's, yeah it's doosh, great doosh. yeah very good um all right let's close out the episode uh you know what time it is sound number eight the shepherd yeah we need to speak to you privately if you've got something to say to me then say it otherwise just leave me alone i don't think you're understanding me here i'm asking politely you either get up and come with us on your own, or I'll have you dragged out. Because we are going to have this conversation. It's not going to be here. Is that right? actually have super cpr <laughs> yes 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 that's exactly what i was gonna do <laughs> let's just canonize it it's super cpr super cpr jack you shepherd know, to just like well we can get into feedback from here because uh much of the feedback we got this week was about this scene uh from dave baker uh why was miles reluctant to answer Hurley's question in the temple was miles unable to communicate with the presumed dead saeed um from the great ben behind the curtain ben martell did saeed actually die in lax or did something else happen because the official word on whether saeed was alive or dead seems remarkably vexed and i haven't been able to find a straight answer even though miles 
else does tell Saeed he died in sundown. Well, folks, wonder no more. We mm-hmm. figured it out. He did briefly die. Uh, but because Jack Shepard has been imbued by the island with the ability to punch people back to life, to CPR them back into existence, no matter the case, as long as he's close to the heart of the island, uh, that is how Saeed comes back to life. Uh, and then it just takes him a while to wake up. You yeah, know? maybe just maybe, groggy, maybe the the, mur- the murky water is sort of like serving as a bit of an ambient, right? Maybe maybe the reason why they use that is because it's a bit of like a natural sleeping pill. And so once he wore up from that, he got up. He's like, oh, what happened? You know, so you wake up sometimes after you take a sleeping pill, and you're you're not exactly yourself. Groggy, groggy. Yeah, and, and yeah. Saeed is very, very much not himself at this point. So but groggy. thank you to Jack. So Saeed was dead, and Super CPR brought him back. Yeah, I'm not going to question it any more than that. That's yeah, what happened. Exactly. That's great. It's fantastic. Um, let's let's rate the episode, Mike. That's 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 la x. Uh, and for the longest time, I could see myself falling on um, either side of the four line. Like for me, mm. this was either going to be a four. That's your or line. A There's 3. a line nine. That's my line. Uh, and I said to myself, and I said uh, during the watch along that my final decision was going to uh, be based in no small part due to uh, the conversations that we would have and what wins out. Uh, Am I going to be uh, seduced into darkness by how much I hate the temple and all of the temple stuff? Is that going to push me over the line? Or am I going to just be so enamored with like, the Terry O'Quinn stuff, the 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 Loki and Ben scene, the Locke and Jack scene, and that kind of stuff. Um, I look back at uh, my premiere scores, and I've never scored a premiere lower than a four. Mm. Uh, and I have to say that even if it's bloated, and it definitely is, and even if I don't like the Temple stuff, and I definitely don't, that I would rather, I think, spend time with LAX than, say, A Tale of Two Cities which mm-hmm. I have as a four. Um, so for me, I will go with the solid four. I will give La X a four, but it earns its place in the category of the uh, like the the lower tiered season premieres for me personally. Yeah, that is I, where I shall land. I will agree. I think it's going to be my lowest rated premiere, but that's really not saying much. Uh, Pilot, I gave 4.2. Man of Science, Man of Faith got a 4.1. Tale of Two Cities got a 3.9. Beginning at the End got a 4. Uh, because You Left got a 4. I'm giving LA SpaceX a 3.7. So again, it really is not that far away. I think most of it is incredibly solid. I really like the introduction to the Flash sideways, just uh, looking at you know the way it's introduced, the way it trails off, getting to see a smidge of not only reintroducing characters, but how these people's lives are different. I think it's a really powerful performance. Uh, setting for Terry O'Quinn and Josh Holloway, I think both do a very great job. I think the Temple stuff is stupid, but there's much more to come that's even stupider, so it's almost like preparing myself for the worst. Like I said before, I think it is a little bloated. I could maybe do without or less of the Rescue Juliet plot, if anything, but those are very, I think, minor criticisms uh, of what I think is a very, very solid episode overall. And I will say, I think we talked about this before, everyone makes a big to-do, understandably and deservedly so, about the Lost Season finales, but don't sleep on the Lost Season premieres. They're all very, very strong episodes, and I think that shows here. That's a 4 from you, a 3.7 from me. The audience gave it a 3.6. 
Uh, we have as yep. low as a 2.5, as high as a 5.1. That's going to put it at 3.76. A 5.1? You mean a 4.1? Oh, sorry. Somebody, uh, someone's superpower was breaking our scale. But yeah. uh, 3.76 average, which obviously puts it very far ahead of our rating for Across the Sea. Yes, it does. Uh, so currently, La X in first position. We'll clean up a little bit of feedback before we bring this thing home. Um, Dallin Servo reports uh, 11 dudes in this episode. Holy moly. Us up to 252 dudes. Well, it is. Uh, it was a double length episode, so I guess we double the amount of dudes. Um, Dallin asks, has Ben not been to the temple since becoming the leader? Because Dogen and Lennon seem to know more about the smoke monster in the island than he does. Maybe it's that, again, like Richard was the go-between and that Ben, even though he was the leader, was never allowed to actually go inside the temple. I could see that Jacob bullshit, right? Of like, ah, you're the leader, but you can't go in the temple because that's a very sacred area. You can only go in when you're ready. He has all of these stupid rules, right? Like his game is overly complicated and hard to follow and play along with. So like, if you want to like, if you want to assign a lot of like the final season wonkiness and the inconsistency and in information, like the information imbalance between Richard and Ben and the temple others, if you want to chalk that up to Jacob sucks and Jacob is bad at being uh, like a responsible leader, I'll live with that. I think that that, that tracks. I think that that tracks thematically with the idea that uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways and often confounding, infuriating ways. Uh, and it is, <laughs> it is righteous to be mad as a result. Uh, I think that that all plays totally fine for me. Um, Joanne, the Pistons fan, asks, Hey, welcome back, flight attendant Sydney. Did you like your life with the others? Did you have a life back home? Do you miss it? Are you happy? Seems like she's fine, despite getting kidnapped from the others in back in yeah. season two to, to get brought here. It seems like she's, she's having an okay time. She's just been hanging out with Richard and Dogan and Lennon this entire time. Yeah, she seems happy. Um, Andrew Yu uh, asked, so did the Dharma van come along to the future because someone was touching it? Um, yeah. Because yes. that's what happened with the Zodiac boat in season yeah. five, right? It's like, it's, I guess it's specifically with the mode of transportation. If you get transported there, uh, whatever is with you ends up coming with you. It comes and leaves with you. One of the other questions I think alongside that is, why specifically this group of people? I guess, is it just because they weren't supposed to be there to begin with that they end up leaving there? Are we surprised there were, like, no other DI people that end up coming along with them? Yeah, I don't know. Is it, like, yeah, like, the is it, like, a course correction? Like, right. you're not it's, supposed to be there? Is it this idea of, uh, in these periods of history, there's someone who, like, stands out as clearly not being from there, and so they have to be the ones to keep hopping? It's a weird rule of time travel that they started with Season 5, where it was, like, only that specific group of people are traveling through time. So I guess they continued it here with the final time jump. Uh, and then April asks, did Rosen Bernard already know, you know, no, no, uh, when they were on the plane. Uh, I vote yes. I vote yes, too. Uh, so, And maybe it happens when the turbulence hits, you know? Because think yeah. about it, a big waking up moment was that turbulence that set the two of them apart for that very long stretch of time between seasons one and two for them to come back together. Maybe it was in that moment that, you know, as Rose was sitting in her seat and Bernard was covered in his own urine, they truly remembered who they were. And so that kiss is like them acknowledging to each other, we're here. We made it. This is different. Yeah. Um, Jim Fells had not done the across the sea music analysis because we did this out of order, uh, though did have thoughts on the across the sea music, um, but has done 
the music analysis, the great Jim Fells, poster recap patron Jim Fells, uh, has done the analysis of the LAX music. Do you have any takeaways from this, Mike? It's honestly, I think, too much to put into one <laughs> sure. speaking. All I'm going to say is just watch the videos. Uh, go to Jim Fells' channel, give it the clicks, check it out, because there are so many. There are like two part one videos and one part two video. There's just so much in it, and I do not want to give the Cliff's notes to not miss anything out. So honestly, I'll, I will punt this answer and say, go check, Joe, go check out his videos. We don't want to do injustice to Jim's incredible work, uh, but the music obviously in this episode is just stellar. Lots of, uh, lots of call forwards and backs uh, that are worth paying attention to. Um, all right. Well, let's close this out with the 23 points and Mike, a, a last minute uh, decision that we made uh, spurred on by the patrons of post show recaps uh, who you clocked this, at least had encouraged us, to to do three and three, three MVPs, three LVPs. Yeah, that, that way it, it adds, up to, adds up to six, yeah. just like season six. It's a two part premiere, uh, so so why not? We won't do this all across the rest of the season, unless you want to. But uh, we will uh, we will certainly do it here for LAX. Um, so uh, this is, I feel like, another one of those instances, Mike. This happens from time to time where I feel like since there's so many people to give both MVP and LVP points to, I feel like this is representative of our feelings across the board rather than it being like, these are Mike's, these are Josh's. Like I feel like I would have given MVP yeah. points to the people you gave them to and vice versa. These are communal, yeah. Um, so why don't we run down the list? Why don't you kick us off? All right, I'm going to start with Hurley. This is a big episode for Hurley. I think it's really fun when you know how the series ends, that Hurley takes charge in so many ways. Jacob approaches him with marching orders. He says, okay, I'll get it done. Hurley is the only, I think, voice of reason in the room of just the ridiculousness that is the temple. It's a really good episode of Hurley. And even in the Flash sideways, like, he's Mr. Businessman here. He could justifiably be on Shark Tank. That's how successful he is. Dharma Shark Tank. So I think he deserves an MVP here. And I'm assuming many points to come. I think that's probably right. Uh, my first goes to James Sawyer Ford, who endures so much in this episode. Next level uh, performance from Josh Holloway this week, and also the off-screen story of Sawyer beating the shit out of four others uh, is incredible and just makes him absolutely legendary in my mind. Well, let me give a point to the person who Sawyer beats up. I'm going to give a point to Jack here. Uh, it's due to both the super CPR in the main timeline, but Flash Sideways Jack is pretty great in this episode. He saves Charlie's life as much as Charlie's in protestation about that. And he's able to, you know, have a really nice conversation with John Locke and get him like a pro bono consultation to possibly cure his condition. It's, it's a good episode for a pretty good guy in the Flash Sideways. Uh, I will give my second MVP point to Saeed on the receiving end of that super CPR for surviving, uh, for surviving time travel with a bullet in him and then dying and then surviving death. That's all very impressive. Add to that the one shot to the bathroom door and you get a very, very well earned MVP point for Saeed Jarrah. Whatever else happens mm -hmm. with his storyline this season, this is like the anti, like this is when you die and you get an LVP point. When you come back to life, I think you get an MVP oh, point. Oh, that's a good rule. Uh, maybe we should have given that one it's to really Charlie It's the one then. time. It's like the one time. Yeah. Well, I got to give a point to the smoke monster. Come on. He is feeling his oats right now between killing Bram and the AOJs, absolutely kicking the piss out of Richard and making Ben essentially his dog. I think it is a really fantastic episode for Terry O'Quinn as John Loki. 
Yeah, and as John Locke, uh, to whom I shall bestow my final MVP point. Uh, John Locke in the sideways is, is outstanding, and that scene with Jack is so, 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 so good. So Terry O'Quinn is uh, earning two MVP points if we were giving it to the actor, but because he's playing two different characters, both of the characters he's playing this week are getting MVP points. Um, let us do the LVPs. Uh, I will give my first to Bram because he dies. That makes sense. And also it's a pretty unceremoniously killing off for the character, right? Like he comes yes. in being like, oh, I don't care what you say. Light him up. I'm going to yes. give an LVP to Edward Mars. Welcome back. But you kind of suck at your job in that he gets like absolutely wrecked by Kate and she gets away at the end of the day. Edward Mars gets foiled once again. So he has to lose a point here. Uh, speaking of sucking at your job, I maintain uh, the the newly minted company line that Richard Alpert is trash, an exaggeration <laughs> to be sure, but I will hold to it. Richard really should have known better, and a lot of this is at Richard's doorstep, and a lot of the information we get out of the temple really does feel like, man, how does Richard not know this stuff? And I know we're blaming a lot of it on Jacob, but I just can't get past that Richard... You probably should have known. You probably should have known. Yeah, even especially when the fireworks go off, right? Like, then then you should really be like, oh, damn it. That- like, how did you wait until daylight to go in there? Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so let's let's draw some blood here on the temple people, Josh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dock a point for Dogen. Just, and I'll take one on on Lennon. Yeah, so we're I think this is a both. real, you know, pairing here. Just because of the way they come in, right? They nearly kill a bunch of our main characters, even though Hurley is carrying a symbol from Jacob. They're purposely vague about things. They technically kill Saeed. <laughs> Was it not for Jack's super CPR, he would still be dead. And in general, like, they just seem like, despite being these all-powerful beings in the place that's been built up for seasons upon seasons, they kind of suck. Yes. They're not great. Lennon is so annoying. Uh, and for an actor who I really like to be this annoying is, uh, is, is not easy to do. I really don't like the character. I really dislike what, the, what, what Dogen and Lennon represent for the final season. So the two of them getting LVP points here, even when uh, we're saying that this is some of the best stuff we get out of the temple, uh, I think is only fitting that we, we begin the process of docking these guys. And then I would say that the whole reason, Mike, uh, that we added an extra MVP and LVP <laughs> point this week was so that you could give out this final MVP. LVP point. We brought back so many great characters from Lost Seasons Past, be it Frogert, Arsht, Edward Mars, Charlie, Claire. I think it only fitting that we welcome back an, an, LV, an MVP of the LVP a, point section. A classic LVP, yes. Heroin, welcome <laughs> back to Down the Hatch. So her- her- heroin, will, heroin strikes again. Uh, and, and then it nearly uh, kills Charlie. <laughs> Yes, and winds up on the board here for the final season. Another LVP point <laughs> for the classic LVP getter, heroin. Uh, <laughs> so the way that the we won't give you everything as we go through the season because it's just going to be too much to track at a certain point. But right now, through across the sea in LAX, the uh, the MVP LVP section is already pretty well populated. Uh, we've got a lot on the board already at this point. We've got the the clubhouse leader is the smoke monster, but right behind him is John Locke. Terry O'Quinn is taking those top two spots. Four to Smokey, two to John Locke right now. And then we 
got a mess of ones. Saeed, Sawyer, Jack, and Hurley are all competitive here with uh, repeat chances to continue scoring throughout the season. Claudia from last week, uh, the man in black and Jacob's mother, still has a point. Then we got a bunch of negative ones uh, that we can uh, that we can talk about from this week. Bram, the Marshal, Richard Alpert, Dogan, Lennon, and Heroin. <laughs> None of them holding a candle to the mother at negative. Five. You hear that? Um, you hear that first here, folks. Alice and Janney, five times worse than heroin in Lost. Ladies and gentlemen, Captain Norris here. We're now beginning our final descent into Los Angeles International Airport. I'm happy to tell you it's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. 72 degrees, six miles visibility, and winds out of the southwest at five miles an hour. Buckle up. You're almost home. I'll be putting on the fasten seatbelt sign now. We'll be on the ground in just a few minutes. Thank you so much for flying Oceanic Air. Um, so I believe that I hear uh, Seth Norris coming in over the loudspeaker telling us it's time to land this thing, that we're going to be wrapping up this episode of Down the Hatch. Mike, that's uh, that's LAX in the books. That's the final season premiere that we, uh, we've we got to talk about here on Lost is done. And on Down much the like Seth Norris' career, I am flying high right now. Uh, what Kate does, a little bit of a drop-off, I would say, with what happens just a, just a next scooch, week. Just a scooch. Uh, yeah. I just rewatched it. Um, not as bad as I remembered, but not great. Not great. Not yeah, good. We, not we, very we good. continue, you know, we, we had whatever happened happened, and The Little Prince, which I think were two episodes that we really liked, and we're like, great, Kate episodes back on track, and then we get to what Kate does. They close it out with a dud. They yeah. do. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we're going to spend a lot of time in the temple, uh, but I think the, the main majority of the focus, right, is going to be on Kate and a little bit of Claire thrown in as well, especially we finally get the emergence of Squirrel Baby Claire right at the end. So that's going to mark a pretty momentous return of a character. That'll be fun to talk about. We'll also get uh, Rob McElhenney is coming back yes, as Aldo next Justin. week. So, uh, Justin is showing up too. So there's going to be all sorts of things to talk about. I think it'll be a fun episode of the podcast even if it's not the best episode of Lost. So that's what Kate does. It is recording uh, next week. When is it recording? Uh, uh, we on, said, on 921. We're recording it a little September bit earlier 21st. in the week. Yeah, And we're yes. going to be doing, but we'll still be doing, as Josh mentioned, a watch of the episode. If you're at the $10 level, as a post-show recaps patron, at the Discord level, we'll be watching it Monday night, the night before, 920 at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're going to queue it up. We watch it. Josh and I uh, post in the text chat from time to time. We come back on, gab a little bit. Uh, it's, a, it's a good, fun way to gauge everyone else's opinions about things and have some fun discussion while watching an episode of Lost. So, it's, it's for sure like bonus down the hatch. Like yeah. It's sort of like the pre-podcast. Uh, so really, really fun. Like I, I have found in the, in the times that we've done this so far that it's been really helpful for me in like setting my expectations and what I'm, what I'm looking forward to in the episode. So definitely... Join us if you can, poshorecaps.com uh, slash Patreon or patreon.com slash poshorecaps. Both will work. We're going to be watching this episode, What Kate Does, on September 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern in the Potion Recaps Patreon Discord. Mike Bloom, what else you got going on? Anything that you want to shout? Uh, shouting about so much. Uh, it is finale week in International Survivor. Depending on when you're listening to this, I will already have a chat out with Shannon Gus and Nick Iodanza about the finale of Australia. Australian Survivor. Uh, I'll be doing a podcast with Shannon about the finale of South African Survivor. And Survivor 41 is coming back next week, and I have done a bunch of preseason content with that. Podcasts, interviews, re- recorded the B&B with Liana Boris, plus everything going on with Big Brother. The Circle, 
just dropped because for some reason reality TV is drowning us like Sun and Jin at this moment. Uh, Too soon. So I'm doing exit press for that. Interviews are coming out as episodes are being released. So yeah, a lot going on. Bloom Files, we took a week off, but now we're back. Uh, we're going to be concluding season six this coming week. Probably my favorite season of the series so far. So lots and lots of fun stuff going on, whether you're a reality or scripted TV fan. All right, and so much happening on post-show recaps. Whichever shows you're you're loving, we're doing them. And we're doing Lost, and we'll be back next week continuing our journey through the final season with What Kate Does. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.